Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, there's a difference between working hard and working smart. There's some NBA teams that work hard. Doesn't necessarily matter. The Orlando Magic, they try hard. They're barely a playoff team. You got to work smart too. ZipRecruiter has the tools to make hiring more efficient and effective. It's the smartest way to hire. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people the right experience for your job. So effective, four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, if you're shopping for a business, you'll find the supplies you need at Zorro.com. Z-O-R-O.com. At Zorro, you can get tools, safety, and office items, cleaning supplies, cleaning supplies, cleaning supplies, and more. In one stop, Zorro has great brands like Stanley, Black & Decker, Prestone, 3M, Rubbermaid. Visit Zorro.com slash BS. Sign up for Zmail to get 15% off. Z-O-R-O.com. All you need to make your business go. We're also brought to you by one of the world's last great websites, the ringer.com, where if you love football and you love the NFL draft, Danny Kelly, his 2.0 draft guide is out right now. If you love Survivor, not only do we have recaps, but we uh, on the Ringer Dish feed, Riley McAtee is going to be hosting a Survivor Weekly Recap Pod. Kyle, you like Survivor? Eh, it's been a while. It's so good this year. Yeah. You should watch it. And then you should listen to the podcast afterwards. The rewatchables, we did higher learning this week. We have Vision Quest coming up next week. Yeah, the greatest wrestling movie of all time and the only wrestling movie of all time. Check that out. Book of Basketball, two episodes left. Got one next week, one the week after, and then season one is over. Coming up, I'm going to do the five-year Oscars with Sean Fantasy and Chris Ryan, as well as a long conversation with Rachel Nichols, our friend from ESPN. That's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Chris Ryan and Sean Fantasy are here. Every year we do the five-year Oscars. We wait until the Oscars has happened five years before. And we relitigate it. We go backwards and we decide whether everyone made the right call. After the Oscars happened, got some feedback from people and they were like, where the fuck was the five-year Oscars? And it was like, well, it hasn't been five years yet, motherfucker. Chill out. <laughs> Relax. Chill out. The Oscars happened on February 22nd, 2015. Well, guess what? We're at the five-year mark. It's not our fault they moved the Oscars up. Okay, motherfucker! <laughs> okay, motherfucker! <laughs> Who reached out to you? Yeah, a couple, I saw some some emails. Okay, okay. A couple of really hurt emails. People have hurt. Huh. Like like the, the president of the Academy? He was like, where's your <laughs> right. podcast about this? Right. Uh, Michael Keaton was like, hey, man. <laughs> didn't, know, uh, didn't know Birdman still made it. Yeah. So we're going to go through. We're going to do the uh, the four acting categories. We're going to do director, and then we'll end with with picture. Can you remind Chris and I of your rules for this? Yeah. We were trying to remember this. All right. I barely remember them myself. Okay. Here are my rules. This is the apex mountain of five-year Oscar <laughs> yes, pods. The apex <laughs> mountain of theories. Five years later, you look back at the year, and you want to think, oh, it was that year when this happened, mm -hmm. and this stands out. And if I'm looking at, which I'm doing right now, I'm looking at the Wikipedia of all the categories with the winners— and I'm upset at a winner, 
or I'm surprised that there was somebody that didn't get it. Um, you know, like we talked about Ben Affleck, we're going to talk about for Gone Girl. He wasn't even nominated. And now I look at the list of the five and I'm like, wow, we didn't nominate Ben Affleck. But, you know, the, here's what happened in 2014 leading into the 15 Oscars. Just some movies for people out there to remember. We, this was Birdman, American Sniper, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Selma, Whiplash, uh, Gone Girl. Did I mention Gone Girl yet? This was The Judge, mm -hmm. which looked like the most Oscar-y movie on paper. Yep. It just... And it's the opposite of that. Yeah, it never really got there. Big for Downey superfan Chris Ryan, though. Yeah, true. Big for Robert Duvall's Incontinence, too. This was it's a disgusting movie. It's a deep cut. If you haven't <laughs> seen The Judge, you don't know what I'm talking about. But This was Interstellar. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's probably a C-minus movie year would be my take. Looking Th back, thinking about it, compa especially compared to this year, Sean. I thought it was a pretty decent blockbuster year. Yeah. Because you've got Guardians of the Galaxy. You got the first Captain America movie. You got Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is pretty good. 22 yeah. Jump Street. Mm -hmm. That was fun. You know, Interstellar was a big hit. Edge of Tomorrow. So the blockbuster stuff was actually pretty cool. It's the Oscar stuff is, I, this really feels like one of the worst in a long it's time. The, the collection of movies that are nominated here compared to actually what happened when we were, a lot of people were making their best of the decade lists and movies from this year were coming up like Under the Skin. And that's based barely even nominated in, in, in any of these categories. True. And Edge of Tomorrow, I think, that's one where if we redid this, I think that would get a Best Picture nomination because I think that's become one of the most beloved 2050 movies. It and has. That's, that's why we love to do this exercise because I think you get caught up sometimes in the moment with certain movies, certain narratives. I'll be interested to see if it happens with Parasite five years from now. I thought Parasite was a really good movie. I'll be curious to see five years from now if we're like, wow, that actually won Best Picture. I think we will look at it shocked because we're probably going to get a terrible movie to win next year, but I don't think people are going to regret choosing it as best picture. I think people are But I think all three of us think Once Upon a Time will be the one that we kind of thought should have won. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it might have... Depends who you ask. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there was so much warm regard for that movie that different from this movie, too. Like, in 2014, there were a lot of good movies that just weren't even really recognized at all. Like, it's also pretty cool to look back because for this year that we're talking about in this pod, the... Bong Joon-ho movie from this year was Snowpiercer, which had mm. such a troubled production and was delayed getting out into theaters and now seems like, you know, will be part of, like, this guy's, the, the, the sort of Americanized version of this guy's career. Totally. As, like, a, a, a foundational movie. That movie stars Captain America. Yeah. That felt in the moment, like, that movie was really underrated. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh... It got this cool, cool mythology around it, though, because we knew that Harvey Weinstein was kind of fucking with it, so it got a bit of a cult built around it. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't, it should have come out like a, a year earlier mm -hmm. than it did. One of my other favorite movies came out this year. Not that it matters for Oscars. Can I guess what it is? Is it nonstop? Baba Duke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a top seven 2010s horror movie. That also, that also the movie had like, first. was that on Netflix? That, I feel like that had like a really good Netflix run. Probably. We That's still it. had, I think more movies were popping up on Netflix after theatrical release at this time, and we're getting second lives, whereas that happens less frequently now. There's also a couple smaller movies, Force Majeure, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. now just got remade as a Wolf Feather thing. I thought that was good. Dear White People was mm -hmm. a memorable 2014 movie. movie that, uh, what about John Wick? I mean, we didn't even talk about John Wick. This is, John, this is Inherent Vice? Well, so the John Wick thing's interesting because 
that movie didn't really fully blossom until it hit cable. That's right. So I remember in 2015, I did a bunch of Grantland Oscar stuff with Wesley and Chris Connolly. I don't even think we talked about John Wick once during like, we did a huge preview show and then we did an actual show and it, it was the, the tale of John Wick. Now you think of it and you're like, I don't think he would have, I don't think it gets any nominations, yeah, no, but it's hard to violent. separate this movie from 2014. Chef was this year as well. Uh, all right, let's do the categories. Let's, okay. We're going to blow through this. Best actor. The nominees, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Never understood that one. Bradley Cooper in American Sniper. Benedict Cumberbatch, um, Imitation Game. Michael Keaton in Birdman, who was the heavy favorite yeah. as we went into this. And then it flipped because the winner was Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. He played Stephen Hawking. This didn't sit right with me at the time. I don't feel that strongly about it five years later where there's somebody I look at and I go, that person should have won. I, I, at gunpoint, I'd probably say Keaton, I but also, I don't feel strongly there's about There's also, a, I, prob I would say, 50, maybe better than 50% chance that that will be the last great Michael Keaton role that he would get nominated for. So right. we probably maybe may have missed the last opportunity. What about Spider-Man Homecoming? Thought well, that, I thought mean, there was good work there. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't make that many movies. No. No, it, you know, this is a very bad win. This is like a classic, the Oscars fucked it up. And, it, you know, he won the BAFTA. He won the SAG Award. He won all, Eddie Redmayne won all those awards, even though everybody wanted Michael Keaton to win. And it just, it reminds me a lot of the Renee Zellweger Judy win this year, where it was just like, everybody just decided that Eddie Redmayne deserved an Oscar for playing Stephen Hawking. Real, real person, high degree of difficulty where he has to make a transformation. They always reward that. And no, has has a single human rewatched this movie since 2016? No. Redman's like in a weird matter. zone because, like, aside from those magical beasts movies, what they're what they're, what they're yeah. Uh, yeah, just keep going with that. They like all he does is make movies where you're like, did that movie ever come out? But he's nominated for an Oscar. It just like, the, what was the movie last year? Uh, Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, yeah. That we'll never. Two years ago, we'll never have a conversation about again in our lives. And the theory of everything is another one like that. Birdman was a really cool movie experience. And I think from a rewatchability standpoint, has not really stood the test of time. I've not fired up kind of come I agree. As, it's kind of come and gone. It has. I think that's right. Yeah. So maybe that's why we're not more upset about this Michael Keane thing. Is there a case for Bradley Cooper in American Sniper? Because I, I would say that was <laughs> five years later, the most, <laughs> the most important movie of 2014 from a box office impact... Um, putting people in a different position in their careers, mm -hmm. kind of what it stood for. What it, this is going to sound weird, but that it comes out, what, a year and a half before the 2016 election? Yes. And the way it resonated and the, all the money it made, and people are like, wow, this is crazy. Never expected this. And it's like, maybe we shouldn't have been surprised at all. You're absolutely right. It's I mean, it was a all. major red state hit. It was yeah. just huge among a certain movie-going audience. I mean, it's like over $300 million. It's a major, was, major I think movie. It was 400 Yeah. And, but uh, this was a classic. The Bubbles didn't think this was going to be a thing. And meanwhile, in three-fourths of the United States, people loved this movie mm -hmm. and went multiple times. Totally. It was it was a holiday phenomenon. And uh, I, I don't, it's not, I don't really love it. Like, I, and I don't want to sound like a cultural elite, but I don't it's love like, it it's not, I don't think it's one of Clint Eastwood's best movies like this. And no he's way. made a lot of movies like this about real-life people have complicated stories and are here seen by some as heroes and seen by some as villains. The the story of of this guy's life in the movie is fascinating. There's a, just an incredible New Yorker story oh, yeah. about about him. Chris Kyle. Yes, but 
I would I would encourage people to read that over rewatching American. So you Sniper. would go Keaton here. Well, I'm gonna the the biggest omission and the one that really just sucks and the Steve Carell thing. I like Steve Carell, but Foxcatcher is not a good movie and shouldn't have been roared in anyway. And Affleck not getting it for Gone Girl. It bothered me when it happened. And now as that movie has become what it's become, and we did a rewatchables watchables about it recently. He's really good in that movie. And it's a great example of the characters, the Venn diagram of Ben Affleck and the character. There's something there. It's probably the last great Ben Affleck leading man performance. I haven't seen the way back yet. Uh, what about the accountant? Knows? Yeah, as I said. <laughs> but I thought that was a hard part. And it was a part, you know, there's a legendary story about John Hamm could have had that part. And then Matthew Weiner said he couldn't have it. And if John Hamm's in Gone Girl, is that a different movie? Is it better? Is it worse? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But Has John Hamm played Affleck's 11 awesome. FBI agents since maybe, then? If maybe, not. <laughs> maybe he's an FBI agent in Gone Girl. Yeah. I mean, the, the Academy... I don't know if they don't like Ben Affleck, but they just don't uh, respect him as an actor. He's never been nominated for an acting performance. He won for screenplay in, in 96 or 98, and he won picture for Argo, and he was a producer on that movie, but that year he famously was snubbed as director, yep. and he's never been nominated as an actor, and he's a good actor. He's not just a good movie star. He's a good, and he's really good in Gone Girl. Agree. And I don't think there was any conversation about him being nominated. It felt like Hollywood was still holding something against him I think somehow. it was just because he won. The year before. Yeah, yeah. He won for Argo, and it was like, you got your due. So one other one other person who I thought should have been nominated that we never really talked about was Miles Teller. Then, and mm. he gets kind of overlooked because of J.K. Simmons and because yeah. every sort of memorable moment from Whiplash is always not my tempo or whatever, but ha does a, I would not compare him pound for pound to this, but this is like one of those, I thought when I saw it, I thought it was like, I wonder if this is going to be like The Graduate where you see somebody and you then go on to see them for the next 25 years. Because it just felt like such a precocious, amazing... You bought so much Teller stock. I still have it. I'm still long on it. I still have it. Top, I haven't sold one I will not one sell penny. it. Top Gun Maverick is coming. And don't try And don't try to uh, weaken my stock. Don't try to, like, publicly... I'm shorting it. Yeah. I'm shorting Miles. After Too Old to Die when, Young, when, I shorted it. When he flies an F-16 past your house and just goes... <laughs> I got a confession for you guys. I like the fire movie. What's so that one I. called? I don't. I can't remember. It's a movie where everybody dies in the I'm end, except Miles Teller. Jesus, just gonna say it's possibly the most depressing. Yeah, movie it's really of all depressing. Time. But yeah. I thought he was good in it. He and I, I thought the movie was good. He's also a guy who, similar to Cooper in American Sniper, he likes to take on a, a, a physical endurance in yeah. his performances. And, and mm -hmm. Chris is, is like total. That. Yeah, totally. Chris he's, has been like that. He's a, a twelve-hour podcaster. So I don't. The other we didn't mention Cumberbatch. I'm fine with that. The 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 one that stands out is Steve Carell, and I don't think he should have been in there. I All due respect to him. Okay. Yeah. You agree? Uh, I, I I didn't really have a problem. I don't think I have had as much of a problem with Foxcatcher as you did. Same. I liked it. I'm more offended that Redmayne won than any of the anybody didn't get nominated. Completely, so like, completely agree. It just should have been a documentary. Let's just say Keaton. Best Actress. This was one of uh, the weakest years we've ever had. We had, uh, what's her name, Sean? Marion? Cotillard? Yeah. Two Days, One Night. I can't remember what that movie was about. Felicity I'd be surprised Jones. if you saw it. It was a very small film made by the Darden brothers. And it, because it was such a weak year, she got nominated, even though she's been better in other movies, honestly. Felicity Jones, Theory of Everything. Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl. Reese Witherspoon and Wild, which I thought Reese Witherspoon was good in that movie. And then Julianne Moore and Still Alice. I thought Julianne... <laughs> Don't call me lady! <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome in that movie. I'm, I'm fine with this result. 
You were, you were banging still Alice style? Yeah. I thought she was really good in that movie and really huh. affecting. Hard no. Uh, yeah? Hard no. This okay. is actually, this this whole category was a crime because yeah. this is Scarlett Johansson's award and it's crazy that she for, didn't get for Under the Skin. Yeah. It's crazy that she didn't get oh, nominated for this. I, that's not on my list here. Do you yeah. agree or you think that's, a, is that a reach? No. I, I think that's like a one of the masterpieces of the decade and a genius movie and she's really good in it and it has like a hard weird part where she's an alien who doesn't know how to talk to people. Um, I don't know. I mean, who would you go? Would you go with Pike? It's my favorite performance out of the five. The, the, the Julianne Moore thing is, is the, it's time award. It's, she has been good in 30 consecutive films. We've overlooked her too many times. She should have won for Boogie Nights. That's like an all time performance to me. And they waited 10, 12 years later to give her the award. Like, no one, no one's watching Still Alice. They're not studying Still Alice in film school. I think They're I'm not. just older than you guys, and that movie hit me differently. Well. Did you like Wild? I did. I Julianne Moore in that movie, that's not a movie that should have even been watchable. Still, still Alice? It's like, here's the most depressing premise right. of all time. Uh, enjoy the next hundred minutes. And I just thought she did some good stuff. All right, so we're split on that one. Best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons won for Whiplash. Ethan Hawke in Boyhood, Edward Norton in Birdman. He was good in Birdman. Mark Ruffalo in Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher with two Oscar nominations for acting. And then uh, the funniest one, Robert Duvall in The Judge. This is That's hilarious to me. It's a Talk weird about career achievement. He also, he already won. So I'm not really sure what they were trying to recognize. Maybe that was just a good campaign that they ran there. I guess, but I also feel like that movie was one of those where they were like, the, you, you guys ready for the judge? And then as soon as it came out and people were like, this man shits his pants in the middle of the film. <laughs> and they, it, like, nobody talked about it after it was released. I feel like that was like also, I can't remember when that came out, but whenever it did, it was like, it just fell off a cliff. Did this, this, did this movie start Oscar so wide or was that the next year? Or is it maybe 2016? Because you look at the actor categories, and I think everyone's white. Yes. All 20. Well, it, it, it was a big topic of conversation because of Selma. And who should have, I forget, who was the one who should have gotten nominated from Selma? Uh, David Oyelowo played Martin Luther King. Right. And so was that very was good the Duval spot. Yeah, but he, was, he would have been the lead, I think. I mean, there were, there were a lot of good performances in that movie. But, you know, like Oprah's in that movie. Tessa Thompson's in that movie. It has a kind of an interesting cast. But yeah, all, are all are all of the nominees white? Yeah, all twenty. Oh wow, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and I think when they when and maybe you know maybe we're so much more aware of this now. But in the moment, like Duvall and the Judge and stuff like that is just, just so like old school Oscars yeah. of let's reward this old white guy. But the other thing too that's happening here, if you look at like the Imitation Game, is one of Harvey Weinstein's last stands yeah. as far as like pursuing an aggressive campaign for a movie that a lot of people are like, this movie is okay. It's not that big a deal, but he made it seem more important than it was with his machine. And so that also takes away from other people's opportunity. If Eddie Red, if, if Benedict Cumberbatch is nominated and David Oyelowo was not, that's a clear mm -hmm. connection to the Oscar. So I think, which you're right, it did start in 2015. So that was after this Oscars heading into the... It was heading into this Oscars, I think, okay. is when it really started. Best Supporting Actress, Patricia Arquette won for Boyhood. Laura Dern for Wild. So we were in support of J.K. Simmons for yeah, Best Supporting Actor. He's amazing. He's yeah. amazing. That's it's, the only one I feel I do think he it. took Ethan Hawke's Oscar. Yes. And it's it's not that J.K. Simmons gave the sort of most memorable performance, but I think that this was Ethan Hawke's chance. He, like, spent 10 years making Boyhood yeah, with tough. Richard Linklater, That's and he's really luck, good though. in it, and it was bad luck. Exactly. Patricia Arquette won for Boyhood. Laura Dern and Wild. 
Keira Knightley in The Imitation Game. She's actually good in that. Emma Stone in Birdman. She's also good. Meryl Streep, Into the Woods as the Witch. I don't even remember what that was. I'm sure there could have been a Selma, Selma spot there for Meryl. Meryl, they're just penciling in at that Hardman. point. It's very similar to Duval. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really good Emma Stone performance. She was really She's good. She's good. I like the meltdown. You mock Twitter. That's like one of the oh, great yeah. memes to emerge from wow. that. That whole, remember that? Yeah. That was the movie where I think we all kind of realized there was way more to the Emma Stone career than maybe we gotta We, we got to bring you yeah. mock Twitter back during the Democratic primaries. Good. I'll let you start on that. Okay. You can get, you get, you get you, you're right I'll behind me. I'll follow right behind you. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> Sean, best original screenplay, Birdman 1, Beat Boyhood, Foxcatcher, Grand Budapest Hotel, Nightcrawler. Are we okay with that? No. No. Who wins it? I would have taken any of these other four nominees okay. over the Birdman script. Boyhood, Foxcatcher, Grand Budapest Hotel, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is sick. Also, Gyllenhaal should have been nominated. I can't believe Oh, wow, Gyllenhaal too. Why don't you guys like Foxcatcher? I don't know. I don't not. That. I just don't hate Foxcatcher. I, I thought mean, it was why, you, why are you looking at me like I have a flower pot on my movie? head? Well, it's, it's not like, fun. It's not a fun it's movie. Not fun. Can't wait for the murder-suicide. <laughs> fun two hours. It's very dour, but it's a fascinating true American story. Good. It should have been a six-part Netflix documentary. I think it wasn't. I don't know why it had to be a movie. Best Adapted, Imitation Game 1, it beats Sniper, Inherent Vice, Theory of Everything, Whiplash. Again. With Inherent Vice was, I feel like that movie's been properly rated from an Oscar standpoint. Is is there momentum for it five years later as an underrated masterpiece or well, anything? Uh, I mean, I disagree. I think it's amazing. But, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin winning for Joker is also like a a follow-through on missing out on nominating mm-hmm. him or awarding him for stuff like Inherent Vice. I think Inherent Vice the has— The Master is— The Master, too. That's a bigger How do you feel about him. the uh, the goosing of the category here with Chazelle? Because it's like adapted screenplay from a short film you already made. It's not like know. you adapted it from a novel or they had the, the rules around this stuff are, are so arcane and ridiculous. And I wonder if he was even able to compete in the WGAs because of this. Um, you know— I don't, I don't, adapted screenplay is always kind of a fraud category for that mm-hmm. reason. Director Inaratu won for Birdman. I feel like this should probably have been Linklater's. Linklater Boyhood nominated. Bennett Miller for Foxcatcher, which w- at least won the murder-suicide movie. The <laughs> Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel. Should and they add that? Is that Warren a way to spruce them, up the Oscars? Maybe every three years. Yeah. Best Imitation Game was the other director. Morton Tildum, who went on to make the absolutely abominable Passengers. Yes. Remember that? I remember people being upset that Clint didn't get it. I think he's okay. One think, take Clint. I think he's... he's <laughs> That's lunch. Uh, <laughs> I, I think... I think... I would have thought that there would have been more love for Wes Anderson, in part because... I mean, that movie didn't win anything. And this was considered, like, his... The peak of his achievements. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Um, and his movies were not guaranteed mm-hmm. hits through the years. And a lot of people love him and actors love him. And he always gets nominated for screenplay. But, and it's unusual for people to go both best picture and best director mm-hmm. the same now. They're often splits. Yeah. There was not a split this year, but there have been a split. I think a split three out of the last five years. This was the other year where there was not a split. And I don't know, the, the Birdman wave just came in and took over. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think it's like an okay movie. I understand why they wanted to reward Inaritu. It's the same thing that they were talking about with Mendes, where they, he made the movie all look, all look like one shot. And so it seemed like this incredible design mm-hmm. feat. But it had a lot of things going for it. It was about the, uh, the celebration of the artistic process, the, the trials and tribulations of being a performer, 
And a movie star. A great crowning achievement for Keaton. A bunch of up-and-coming performers. Really— And the director, quite, like— Quite a good Edward Norton performance. Definitely. Uh, I would Nominated, say that. Yeah. And, and the director. Yeah, the director. Yeah. Who was Gravity before this or after no, this? No, that's Quarrow. He, yeah, he did The Revenant. No, no, what's the other one he did? Oh, Revenant. That's, that's, that's yeah, right yeah. after this. That was after year after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's he working on seeing? now? Inaritu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appears in a lot of Rolex commercials. That's cool. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's got a movie cooking up. <laughs> I think the real problem with this year was that there was no number one starter. It's a lot of number two and number three starters, and some number four starters, but there's no ace. And I and the the whole looking at it as a whole reflects that. So Birdman wins for best picture. It beats Sniper, Boyhood, Grand Budapest, Imitation Game, Selva, Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. I think there was a lot of hope amongst the sort of like independent-minded crowd that Boyhood was going to win here. And then there was like a Boyhood backlash that happened where people were like, who cares if it took 10 years to do this? Also, and then there was it's like... It's not that good. It doesn't tell Prashar story. It's, right. You know. Right, even though she won. Yeah. Um, I have I conflicted feelings about Boyhood. What are your feelings? I thought it was an incredible creative achievement. I didn't think the movie was great. But I thought the achievement itself was great. And I remember we argued about this at the time when we were doing pods and shows and stuff about it, about whether the creative achievement should outweigh the actual quality of the movie. And some people didn't separate those two. Well, that, and that's we, actually my literally my take on Birdman. I think it's like an incredible creative achievement that I just don't really care about. And I think that this is always the thing that we want the Oscars to thread for us, is to celebrate the obvious great leaps forward or presumed great leaps forward in movies while also celebrating the things that we're going to be talking about years to come. Right? The most upsetting thing was Fincher not getting anything for Gone Girl for me, which we forgot to talk about in the directing thing because I just like, that's peak Fincher. He's the only person who could have done the I think best that movie, version of that, that movie. That movie's just got such a corrosive soul. I think it's just too hard. I mean, I guess the Parasite proves me wrong, but it just feels like Gone Girl has like such a toxic heart that it's hard for people to under I think people misunderstood that movie this is an underrated I, you and I talked about this privately and this is a kind of a complicated thing to unpack but I think that that is a subtext of the Parasite win too is Parasite and Gone Girl tonally and, and a lot of Fincher and, and Bong's movies have a lot in common they're well they're, they're pretty cynical they're expertly artfully crafted they're all like blueprint movies where everything is super designed out they're pretty funny but in a dark way yeah and the Parasite wave, a lot of people just got really excited about a movie that is, like, pretty critical of, likely, their lifestyle in the yeah. Academy. Mm-hmm. And Bong was such a fun figure and that cast. People loved them so much over the course of three months that I think that people— some I'm, I'm speculating completely, but I think some people lost sight of— What that movie was about. What the movie's about. And the difference between that and Gone Girl is— David Fincher would not be, like, a very fun guy on the campaign trail and wouldn't, you know, Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike and Neil Patrick Harris would not be, like, doing photo ops and laughing about Gone Girl. Right. Like, it feels like it's made by some pretty hard-hearted, True. cynical craftspeople. Yeah. Um, so I, it would be hard. But that being said, I think that there's probably going to be a big Fincher thing this year where they'll he's making this movie Mank, which is about Joseph Mankowitz, or Herman Mankowitz, rather. It was written by his dad 10 years ago. Netflix is producing it. It's a it's a Hollywood story about like the making of uh, Citizen Kane, and it's there's going to be a lot of like it's time now for Fincher. Same stuff that we're talking about with some of the actors here. But not to steal your take, but another part of that conversation that we had was what the next five years, how it's different if Fincher does get more lauded for Gone Girl. 
yeah, and I whether think he, keeps he stays making movies. in features. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think he keeps making movies, which is what I wish he did. I mean, I like those TV shows, but I'd much rather have three more movies. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know how many 2015 movies we've, or 2014 movies we've done as a rewatchable? How many? Gone Girl. Just one. Mm-hmm. That's it. What's, I don't is even there think any other John one you Rick. would do? John Wick one at some point would be I, a fun one. To I have rewatched down. Whiplash. I wouldn't say that it's like I I go to it a lot, but I think it's one of the best movies of the decade. I think Edge of Tomorrow would be an amazing episode. Oh yeah, that's oh true. yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I think that would be really. We're definitely fun. doing that one. Yeah, yeah, that's on the list. But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't do Birdman, right? You wouldn't do Boyhood. It's a weird year. It felt weird at the time. There were a lot of things that didn't make sense or that we were just like, whoa, why that? Especially like the Oscar so white thing, <laughs> especially when you see it laid out in all these Bad. categories. It's like, Jesus. Bad. And, and then movies that we really wanted to be great that never totally got there. There were a couple like that. I think I Most Violent Year was Selma. like that. I thought Selma was good. I don't think it was great, but I thought the story was really important. Yeah. But I thought the movie could have been better. But I remember Fantasy and I were like, when we first started seeing the trailers for Most Violent Year, we were like, did they made a movie out of our brain stems like this totally. is crazy that I thought I can't wait JC Shandor was like Coppola you know I was really I, and I like his movies a lot but um so you think the lost performance of this five years is Scarlet Scarlet I think Joaquin in Inherent Vice Miles Teller in Whiplash I would and I Ben Affleck in Gone Girl Ben Affleck I, Oscar Isaac in The Most Violent Year Jessica Chastain in The Most Violent Year not being nominated is really weird actually she's amazing in that movie David Oyelowo was also in The mm-hmm. Most Violent Year yeah yeah there's a bunch of cool, I mean, and, and Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler. There's a lot of, we could have done a good alternative. The robot Oscars pilot episode. in Interstellar? Um, no. Although we know who the best cam, who would have won best cam yeah, if they made that up. Uh, and we know who wins best animal performance. Who's that? John Wick's dog. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, Robert Duvall's bladder. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this is, when people get mad at the Oscars, and they're like, all right, enough with uh, how it has to be. Oh, it's an overcorrection. It's like, well. Five years ago, Robert Duvall got nominated for the judge. This is this is why we're overcorrected now. We have because a that was a disaster. Uh, all right, Chris, Sean, pleasure as always. Bill, thanks, thanks Bill. Man. All right, we're bringing in Rachel in one second. First, when you need red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m., and ibuprofen at 10 a.m., here's an idea. Postmate it. It's your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round, anything you're craving, they can deliver. The largest on-demand network in the U.S., They offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery, convenience stores, traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That includes my house. Postmates will bring you what you need within the hour. No more trips to the store. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses. Track your delivery in real time for a limited time. Postmates giving our listeners on the here and the BS podcast $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app. Use code BS for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download Postmate, save with code BS. Meanwhile, Saturday night is the pay-per-view event of the decade. The decade just started, but I agree with this. It is the pay-per-view event of the decade. World champion Deontay Wilder who knocks everybody out in really violent ways, faces Tyson Fury for the heavyweight championship of the world. You might remember their first fight. It was awesome. They're fighting again. One of the most anticipated rematches. We've had probably the best heavyweight fight we've had since Tyson versus Lewis in terms of a hype anticipation standpoint. You might remember Fury in their first battle 
miraculously rising from a 12th round knockdown to finish the fight. I doubt this one's going to go 12 rounds. I don't see it. Um, Fury's had, Fury's a great story. He's had some issues over the years. Um, and he really came back. He came back from a lot of stuff. And now he's going to try to come back yet again. A historic night from Las Vegas's MGM Grand Garden Arena, Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Pacific. Buy it now on pay-per-view. My recommendation would be to bet on Wilder by knockout because that guy knocks people out. There you go. All right, let's bring in Rachel. Rachel Nichols is here. I'm laughing. It's a Thursday. Mm -hmm. You just came right from the jump. So you have TV makeup face on, which I'm getting flashbacks to when I did the two years in countdown. But and, but TV makeup face, but what about the rest of me? Huh? Well, you're you're wearing normal clothes, but with TV <laughs> makeup face on. I used to sometimes go out after countdown with TV makeup face on, and I felt like I was like a different human being. I mean, you know, I'm sure it was cute. I'm sure all the girls Why were you, mooning over I your mascara. Just, I just looked super tan, but right. then if somebody was looking at me, they'd be like, wait, do you have makeup on? I'm like, oh shit, I should probably take that off. I did not grow up, I grew up liking sports, playing sports, so I was not like a makeup at the mall girl. Yeah. And so all of this is foreign to me and I sit down in the morning and they put it on me and that's enough, right? Then I'm expected to take it off also? No. It's a lot, Bill. I, the thing for me, there's two things. One is I tried to, when they first started making me do TV, I was out on the makeup. Okay. I was just so like, some of the guys are like, right. Some of the guys are like, no, no, no powder, nothing. Were you it, that guy? Well, cause it made, I have contacts and really sensitive eyes and mm -hmm. it would just make me look like I was stoned. So the first couple of times. <laughs> you say that in a bad way. Yeah. Well, you, you know, especially in HD, people right. are like, Hey, is that guy faded? Right. Um, but then I remember I did, I was like, I took it off. I didn't even tell them like they put the makeup on. I went in the bathroom and I took it off and I went out and I looked like a dead person. Yeah. <sighs> and there's so much light. And yeah. HD, yeah. and there's a reason people wear makeup. Yeah. We see it with guys on the show where at the beginning, especially the former athletes, will be like, no, no, I'm good. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. And then after like a month or two and their wife or someone's telling them, like, you can use a little bit of it. Then right. suddenly they're getting the full, the full nine. I remember one time it was like a replacement makeup person. Didn't go they well? Basically made me orange. <laughs> You could be elected president. And I was like, do I look orange? And she's like, no, no, it looks fine. And we went out. And then, and I never checked, I never checked Twitter if yeah. I do TV ever. I don't know if we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, I got to look to see if anyone thinks I'm orange. So I checked my replies. And everyone's like, hey, orange man. Hey, nice orange face. And it was just like, it was like a Jeffrey Ross roast of my orange face. And I was like, oh, so obviously I was right. I'm orange. Yes, yes. So and I there took you all go. Of it off. Um, there you go. Do you check Twitter during the show? Not during the show that much. Um, we have someone who checks for breaking news stuff going on. So Twitter is sort of operational in the control room because something could happen. We're on uh, for an hour live. Yeah. Stuff happens. Today, during our show, there's some news that broke about Kyrie Irving getting possibly getting surgery. And it's one of those things where when you do an hour of basketball a day, stuff like Kyrie Irving could get surgery is enough to make it into wanting it to be in the live show. So someone's got Twitter up. During the show, but, but I don't, don't check replies or stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah. So. But that's, to me, like the perfect reason to have a live show if something like that happens. It's been great. We've had you random news break in our window where you're just, you know, you're just like, oh, this happened. But that's what's nice about having people who can legit just talk about basketball. It doesn't have to be pre-planned. You're just rolling out the ball and chatting anyway. So new topic, Kyrie Irving's shoulder, go. 
So there you go. I remember when we were doing the Grand Line Basketball Hour, which we only did 10. Right. I don't know if you know, but I ended up leaving ESPN. I, I never heard, heard anything about, about yeah, that. That's weird. It was so low underrated. profile the way you left. under the radar. Yeah, it's weird. But we had one where Rondo got traded. Um, We were about to tape the show. Right. And we were about to tape it live. And we had every segment planned of out. Of course. And then it was like Rondo got traded. And we were like, cool. Right. <laughs> Throw away the first segment. Yep. <laughs> Let's wing the Rondo thing for 10 minutes. And if you can't do that, you don't belong on TV anyway. Yes. But I I always liked when stuff like that happened. Yeah. Our show's kind of built for that yeah. too. Right. I mean, certain shows are really slaves to the rundown. And we are not, and that's just a style thing, but we'll have stuff all the time where just because a good conversation gets going, we'll end up blowing out the rest of the block and be like, yeah, we never got to that. Hope we get to it tomorrow. Maybe we won't. <laughs> so I used to love the ABC, the countdown on the ABC show. Mm -hmm. It had to kind of be perfect with how you've done those. I do do those. And so. it's like the three o'clock game, East Coast time. If it ends at 548, you've got to fill for 12 minutes. Yep. And and half of the people are like, fuck, we got to fill. And I would be like, this is great. Right. This is like, <laughs> now we're doing fill, a podcast. Right. The fill is just talk about basketball. Yeah. Right. The pregame like, show is go? planned out. The fill where they're like, oh, if this game ends early, but that game's not starting yet, you guys got to go on and fill. Great. It's great. Great. We're just going to sit around and chat. We'll there would be, be double headers too where that would happen where it would be like, you know, on Friday nights, the 7.30 game and then the 10 o'clock game, the 7.30 game just randomly ended 12 yep. minutes early. You'd be like, awesome. That's why we're here. Yes. Although I will I will shout out our producers on the jump because that ethos of like, hey, if the conversation is good, just keep talking about it. Yeah. They're all in on that. Whereas some people would be like, but we cut highlights for the second topic. Right. And I don't want to waste that work. And the fact that they're in on a good conversation is a good conversation and our work is bringing everyone a good conversation. That's, I haven't always worked with people who feel that way. And that's a cool thing about the guys I work with. I did it both ways. Mm -hmm. There was somewhere it's like the, the producers, especially if it's a producer heavy show where they're like, we cut this package right. where you're going to talk about the four three point shooters who you think have, have jumped up a level. And they're all in motion and you're supposed to cue it up. Yep. But then the conversation in the moment's going a different way. And you're like, yeah, screw the shooters. But they're like, no, we, no. we have it ready. Go. <laughs> We're running it now. Audible. It's, ha it's happening whether you like it yeah. or not. But I get it because they spent time doing it. How much do you plan for this? For this pod? You just saw it. Well, you saw my preparation. That's I true. Like, I walked in and Bill was like, what do you want to talk about? Well, I feel like I hear you sometimes with Ryan being like, oh, I got to get to the next thing. I got to get to the next that thing. That one we we tried, we did the first one on Sunday and we tried to structure it at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. If it's a certain guest, like Iger. Right. Which I did two weeks ago. I had a list in my head. I didn't have a list, like okay. a piece of paper, but I had in my head, like, start with the book. Go right. here, go here. And then you just kind of try to remember the sequence. But right. if you can't and you it flows a different way. You've seen Zach's lists, right? So th it's just funny that Zach's hosting anything because it took <laughs> two years just to, to get, get him to him a in podcast. Front of a microphone? It took him another year to get him to do any TV. Mm -hmm. And, and now, now. <laughs> now he's like a host. <laughs> yes. What are his lists? What does he do? Oh, so if you go on Zach's podcast, as you have, by the way, I'm sure you've, you've seen this. Always called is, in, though. I've never oh, actually been next to him for it. So he has what would be like a legal pad. 
and he has crazy serial killer level handwriting oh, and notes so on it. There's me. triangles, there's maps, there's graphs, there's charts, there's questions, there's topics. He is, he's done research into everyone's filing cabinet of what they did in third grade basketball. He, he is, and I will tease him. I'll be like, what is on the list? And then, you know, somewhere on the list, there'll be like Caesar salad. Seriously. We're like, it's either a story about Caesar salad or maybe he was hungry. I don't know. But then I'll, I'll just jump his list, which by the way, does not make him happy at all. No, he's, he's a very orderly human being. Likes, yes. So, so I'm enjoying the fact that to me, Zach, even having a podcast is because of you. And I'm now experiencing your podcast style being so different. <laughs> well, this is interesting. I remember we came up with the title for the pod. Yes. And it was sometimes when you title pods or anything, it's really impossible. Well, did they try to market research you or were you guys just sitting around? No, that was just like a couple names. Mm -hmm. I have no, I don't remember who came it up. I right. should just claim that I made it up, but I, I have no idea who actually said it. Right. But it was one of those things where it was like the low post with the E and we're mm -hmm. like, done. That's it. Done. Perfect. And now he has his whole welcome to and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's like good. sometimes it just falls into place like that. We were coming up with names for our show and- at the beginning, there was really a strong push to have it be called NBA Today. <laughs> and I was oh, my just, God. Yeah, not feeling that a at all. A push from executives? Um, I'm just going to call it an internal push right. <laughs> to have it be called NBA Today. And I think it was just, you know, NFL Live, NBA Today, NBA Tonight. That was kind of what they had had. So they were like, well, yeah, it's going to be called NBA Today. And for me, my idea and pitch for the show was so different from what more of that standard shows were. Right. I didn't want it to have that kind of name, but it put all this crazy pressure on me because they were like, well, if you want something different, you got to come up with it and we have to approve it. Right. So then you're sitting there with lists and basketball words and things like the low post, but you're trying to sort of make it personal in some way or something that has something to it. Bill just got coffee Thanks, brought into Kate. him. Look I got that. a tea. Oh, tea. I turned 50 and I realized that I couldn't have the second coffee during the day. What happened turning to you? me into a serial killer. What? Like what? I don't know. I just. What was happening to you? I, I started to really need it the same way you need like heroin <laughs> or cocaine drug. or something where it's like I'm fading mentally if I don't get my coffee. Right. And so I didn't do it for two days. And really lasted I, a long time there. And then it was fine. Right. The first two days my body's like, well, what the hell? Was this caffeinated tea? By the way, this is the no. largest thing of tea. It is a venti nice tea. Venti tea. Which I didn't even know existed. I thought they stopped it. Venti tea. <laughs> I, you realize the latte is basically, you know, it's like a cocaine shot. That's that's what I would have like a venti latte that's, at like five o'clock. I'm having just a little, a small size, small, tall, tall latte right. right now. Are you looking at me askance? Do you want me to give you a little hit? No. No? You sure? No. I, I don't miss it. I have a giant coffee in the morning. It's my favorite part of the day. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all downhill. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. I started having the lattes when I was doing the countdown and I was just like, I just was running out of energy. And when you're on you, TV, what are you, you like an energy? eighty-year-old from New York City? When I was doing the countdown, when I was doing the countdown, <laughs> whatever the show's got. But I was, if you run out of energy on TV, you you yeah, it's the probably the worst they case frown scenario. On that. Yeah, I mean, look, there are the worst case scenarios on national well, live looking, television. Looking like half dead on television. I mean, it would be much worse to look orange. So you don't want that. If I looked orange and half and dead, half dead. yeah, that's like the worst case scenario. <laughs> the ball yeah, game is over. So I started chugging these lattes and mm -hmm. then we would do these segments and I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? How dare you say that about the Pistons? So is this tea, tea caffeinated? By the way, the people listening like to this are like, caffeinated. and that's where I turned off the podcast. Like, really. Yeah, they're talking about tea and Caesar salad. It's bad. All that stuff. So how long is the jump in now? Four years. Four years this week. 
I feel like thank you so much for remembering our anniversary, asking me four in years here for sweet. it. Well, That's I feel really like the Grantland Basketball Hour was like the distant cousin because Wilds was oh, involved. A hundred percent. The producers, some of the we used to have weird players. That I don't they, think it's a distant cousin. Well, I think maybe it's, it's a, a cousin, legit whatever. cousin. Yes, yeah. We would we would try to put people on that weren't on normal ESPN shows, and yep. they would always be like. Exactly. What? Yeah, you have Steven Jackson? I got, but now I got it's a lot like of that. You get a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. but, now, but that's actually like probably one of the best assets of the jump is well, yeah, for you me, have to throw people out there. Yeah. And also when I, as it, so much of the other stuff I did leading up to this is what got, what got thrown into the kitchen sink of this show. Right. Yeah. So I've been a reporter for so many years. And I know from being a reporter, when you're telling the story of a basketball team, you can't just talk to the superstars of the team. Yeah. It doesn't tell the whole story, right? Because they have one experience, but the Steven Jacksons of the world have a completely different experience. And by the way, the guys who are the superstars don't always feel the responsibility to explain themselves fully, whereas some of the other guys have spent, or, right, have spent years and years with reps of talking and kind of having to get out there and have opinions and have cogent ideas. And it's like a basketball team. You need guys like Tracy McGrady, two-time scoring champion. You need Scottie Pippen, who's won six rings and can tell me what it's like to be in the Warriors dynasty, right? When we're doing those final yeah. after NBA final, what is it like when you reach your X number in a row and you've played all those years in a row? Well, I got the guy sitting next to me who's done that. But on the other hand, I also have a Stephen Jackson or a Matt Barnes or guys who were in a different position and still, by the way, won a ring, right? Yeah. But so they have the credentials, but- we're more glue guys on those teams. We're tough guys on those teams too. You want that too? I do. I think the glue guys are really interesting because they look at everything differently. It's yeah. almost like how the mo the some of the most interesting podcasts I've had with actors weren't necessarily the most famous actors. Right. You know, it was like the J.K. Simmons type of guys who have kind of done all kinds of different jobs and then had stardom, but also had it the other way too. You have to pay attention more, right? Yeah. If you're that kind of guy, you have to pay attention more to what's going on around you because you're not just barreling in and doing it and leaving. And so those those are people who have interesting, smart observations too. And by the way, I do want also the guys who are the superstars because Tracy McGrady can tell me what it's like to go on a crazy scoring binge. You know, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. So I'm so very how do you, how do you decide who's on the show? Well, I don't book the show day to day. We have just sort of a, a pool and then— It's almost like figuring out a cocktail party. Yeah, it's just sort of who's who's available that week, who's in town— that sort of thing. And then we have a kind of our pool of people and then we go from there. I don't know. How do you decide who's on the ringer? Well, yours is different though because you have players, but then you also have info people. Well, that was another thing. And you have to figure that out was what's the blend of, of player versus info. Yeah, they hadn't really had that on any of their daily... It sort of brought the info people in differently, you know, and, and look, I used to work on NFL Countdown. I love the way Morton and Adam come in, right? Like they yeah. kind of come in with, hey, I'm delivering you these juicy news bits, whatever. So there's lots of good different ways to do it. For me, again, like having been a reporter and sort of wanting the show to live in real time, I wanted not every show. We do have shows with two players, but a large part of the time to have someone who's really plugged into the league and with like good experience, right? Someone who's been covering it for at least a decade, that kind of thing, to be able to talk about stuff in real time, who can yeah. say and add to a conversation, okay, we're doing this story because this news report came out in the Boston Globe, but also I have Jackie McMullen on set and Jackie can talk about sort of things that weren't even in the article or not in the paper or things that I might not even know because I've been watching on TV, but she's been there. Well, so, she's also the best of all time. She is incredible. She's, and that's why we love having her on. Yeah. I don't have her on my podcast enough. And I don't know why. It's my fault. I'm just bad at remembering who to have on. <laughs> but every time I have her on, I'm like, oh, man. Right. Because she's the perfect one if she has info, but mm -hmm. she's not afraid to share stuff too. Whereas yeah. some, 
some of the info people, and I include my beloved friend Zach. Yes. They're giving you most of what they don't, they're not, they have all this other secret stuff that, that people have told them in confidence that they just can't give. Yes. Jackie, you can, she, she can hint more at stuff. Also, when you've been doing it long enough, you reach a point, I assume you're this way, Jackie's this way, where you don't kind of give a fuck about what yeah. other people think of you, Those what they're saying guests. about you, yeah. right? You're just like, yeah. I, I mean, if she's walking on here, she's like, I'm Jackie fucking McMullen. So, right. great. When do, you think Zach, when do you think Zach's going to get to that point? Probably I think like it's age sixty-five. Be a long time before mid sixties. <laughs> Whereas you, I think, got to that point at like age thirty. I got it too early. Yeah, <laughs> right. I probably should have waited. Right? I got it. Now I'm at the right point, but right. I probably should have waited a little bit. <laughs> you, were, um, you were good. Are we going to talk about the Celtics? I can't believe we've gone this many minutes into the podcast about basketball with a basketball person. I know. We we're about taping this on a Thursday. It's running probably after some of these games tonight, but. Um, I feel like the NBA has been gone for like a month and a half. That's I a don't good, like the long all-star break. Well, it's break. a good sign if it's only been off a week and you're in that much withdrawal. That means that it's a it good year. It was weird. I, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was just sucked. It was like Survivor. I watched Siesta <laughs> Key with my daughter. I watched Big with my son. I watched... Big the movie? I, yeah. Okay. My son loves, he's almost the exact same age as Josh Baskin now in that okay. movie. All right. So it's like a I whole like different level. I like you bringing out of, the like old time classic. When did that movie come out? 1989. Yeah. That movie's eternal though. I, I agree. I just like that you're, I'm not surprised you're grounding your kid with like yeah. the classic movies, but a lot of people don't. What's interesting is there's some 80s, 90s movies that it almost doesn't matter when they came out. Right. Like I feel like big 30 years from now would yes. still be yes. a movie that any kid would watch. Yes. And Princess Bride's like that. There's some... My, I have twin yeah. eight-year-olds. They yeah. love the Princess Bride, right? Right. So, and they don't like princesses or brides, but it's not. It's really just an action-adventure movie, right? Yeah. Has a I sidetracked you on the basketball question. That's okay. It's been gone for a while, and now I'm really focused on this Celtics thing. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't matter about the games tonight. I need to know from you where your head is at. My head's, my head's the very Celtics confident. And the stretch run. I need Tatum. Picture. These last 31 games or whatever it is, this is the Jason Tatum. Can you actually be the best guy in a couple of playoff series? Show us during these 30 games that the potential is there for that to happen. I mean, he's been great the last right. few months. Like, really great. It's been like, yeah, six, seven weeks. Yeah. Where it's he started finishing around the rim. Yep. The defense that he's playing against certain guys like Kawhi is, mm -hmm. at, is at a whole other level. And it's really starting to look... So, there's also weird, you know, they put these weird stats out where there's like, there's only four players for the age of 22 who yeah. have 2,700 points, 800, and they come up with these weird numbers. Is there, I, if, if, once you get to the third qualifier, to me, I always call those baseball stats. Right. Right? On a Tuesday in July, he's the third one under the age of 21 with this many points, this right. many rebounds, and this many assists. And I'm like, great, I don't care. But when they're saying like, hey, he's averaged this many points by this age or something like that, that is a stat I can wrap my head around. They had one that was, it was like 3,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists that, before age 22. Yeah. It was like him, LeBron. That is a, that is a worthwhile Kobe stat. and like one other yes. person. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize we were there. Yeah. Well, part of that is always going to be a function of how much you play, right? What yeah. your opportunities are and who else is on the team with you. And then also skill when those two things combine. But I want to know. So, okay. So let's go through the East. Who would he match up? Who would he be the best player on the court in a playoff series with? So. And we're if, not counting the teams that won't make it. If we get the two seed, he's better than anybody who's going to be in the seven seed. Yes. Unless Kyrie's playing for Brooklyn, and even then, Kyrie's probably. It seems like we're starting say, to go toward Kyrie being out for the year. By the time people listen to this, they'll know. But it sure, sure sounded like we weren't going to see Kyrie that much more. 
today. We should talk about that later. Um, so I think he'd be better than whatever seven seed. Mm -hmm. Then the next series with Toronto, it's basically him, Kemba, Siakam, and Lowry, one of those four. It could be Toronto. could be Philadelphia. Could be Philadelphia. I've, yeah, if it's three, could be Miami. Six. Like I don't know how the I don't know how the first two rounds are. going I just fall. figure Indiana is going to be six, okay. and then it'll be Toronto or Boston versus Indiana, right? Um, but then you get to the Milwaukee series. Yeah, either he'd have to outplay Giannis, or we'd have to have a situation, kind of like what happened in 2010, where LeBron was the best guy in that series, but Rondo but, outplayed him for six games. Right. Well, and but Paul nobody was, thought Rondo was better. And Paul was tremendous. Come on. That he game that game where the two of them were in the score no, in the 40s? Oh, that yeah, was yeah, 08. That was 08, yeah. Okay, all right. 2010 was when Rondo all of a sudden became like one of the best right, players right, in the right, world. Right, 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 And then LeBron really faded the last two games. Yes, yes. And then that was the taking off the jersey and the tunnel and the whole 08's line. Paul's greatest moment. That that one game. That game, yeah. Is something that obviously, clearly, I'm I'm getting senile on the year. But that no, listen, sitting at the- You're preaching the choir. Right. <laughs> Mixing up years, <laughs> but sitting courtside, I was I was courtside for that game, and I it will still go down as one of the greatest sort of just moments in basketball I have been in the building for because you had two guys at the height of their power going at it in Boston Garden, best fans, and just I mean it was exceptional. I, I have a lot of regrets because I didn't fly back for it and it hurts. Okay, well I'm here to tell you, you made a mistake. I did. Yeah, there's a key moment in that game. Not only is it. Pierce's best game mm -hmm. and he really goes toe to toe. And it's like, it's LeBron the year before he won his first MVP. So yep. it's not like full fledged LeBron yet, but it's, he was pretty good. It's 90% of <laughs> where he's They both scored in the forties in that yeah. game. There's a jump ball and Pierce, and Pierce loves talking about this yes. too. Yes. If you ever have to kill time with Pierce, just be like, Hey, can we talk about that jump, <laughs> jump ball, ball game seven? He, he do eight minutes on it, but he just is kind of stronger and faster than LeBron. And I feel like that's one of those moments, like the kid in high school who gets beaten up in the drive-in where he's like, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to be bigger than everybody. Right. And LeBron the next year, he's he now just, a specimen. Yes. That was, he goes from that to then he goes to the Olympics with Kobe. Yep. Watches what Kobe's whole process is like day after day. And he's like, oh my God. And, by the, and then he goes in that 09 season and he's just like, he's LeBron. Yep. But I think that jump ball was weirdly important. Paul sneaky strong. Paul was, this is, it was funny, like with the Pierce Wade stuff last year, which was a bummer. Cause I was unfortunate. I thought the whole thing was unfortunate. Pierce waded into it a little bit. Like he, you know, but at the same time, people were dismissing this career where he was one of the 50 best guys of all time. Yes. He won a finals and he was a really unique player. Like Finals MVP. Yeah. And he was yeah. a strong six foot seven forward who was strong when he came in the league. And, um, so he's he's on the rank clutch, clutch all time rankings. I always kind of back to he's got his number retired in Boston Garden. Like that's the, that's the end of the conversation. Right? And beloved. And right? outplayed Kobe in 08. <laughs> right. Both yes. him and Ray Allen did. Yes. I think he was one of those guys that was a little bit wrong error. I think T-Mac's the ultimate example oh, of that. Oh, God. Can you imagine Tracy ten McGrady? Late, 10 years Can you later, imagine Tracy McGrady now? I know. Right? I mean, I sit with him all the time looking at He's video and bummed. whatever. He's, you know what? He is so, this is, there are many things that I really like about Tracy McGrady. One of the things he's so great about is he is not a, I walked uphill both ways to school guy. And yeah. he is not a bitter about how things did or didn't fall for him. And he could be bitter, right? I mean, goes to Orlando. Grant Hill doesn't get hurt the way he does. Yeah. His whole life is different, right? All this, oh, can't get out of the first round, can't win playoff games. 
he went for Grant Hill and, and that just never happened. And then he goes to Houston and Yao has those injuries and he just never has sort of that same running mate he had the injuries. to the level. And then he gets injured yeah. and then he can't whatever. And by the way, his injury, if it had been diagnosed and treated a little bit differently, and he's talked about, I'm not going to get the specifics of the injury exactly right, but basically if they knew now medically what they knew, you know, if they knew then what they know now, that he, it could have saved his knee and it would have been a completely different thing. And load management obviously would have been different and all kinds of stuff would have been different. Um, and he's never, and obviously the style of the game now and, and the rules being different, he never sits there and, and is bitter about it. He does give you that smile though and say, man, that'd be pretty fun, right? I mean, can you imagine seeing him now? I wrote a whole piece about him when I was at Grantland because it made me mad people. He was kind of one of those slip through the cracks yeah. better than people realize guys. And I laid out this whole case for him. It was interesting. He like tweeted out the piece. This and, is back when he was on Twitter. He's not anymore. Right. And I just thought that made me think like he thought finally somebody kind of noticed. Because yeah. Daryl used to tell me all the time. He was like, T-Mac is so much better than people realize. Like all the stats we have from on the court, off court, Dude, all the things he does. <laughs> I co I covered games he played. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I covered him plenty. Like he was so good. And it's funny when we first started the show, first of all, he was the one I kept pitching to start the show with. Yeah. And there was definitely people being like, Tracy McGrady, really? Right. And my pit, my, I've said this a million times, my sort of elevator pitch for the show was, hey, I don't want it to feel like a PowerPoint presentation. Like, I don't want it to sort of have a bunch of monitors and that kind of thing. It shouldn't just be like sort of contained points. Um, I wanted to feel like sitting around talking about basketball with your friends. But what if one of your friends was Tracy McGrady? Yeah. That's, that was sort of the sentence. Um, and then they were like, eh, he's, he's done a little countdown before. He's done a little NBA TV before. We don't know. And I was like, dude, he needs, everybody needs reps. The idea that someone's like magically good on TV the first time is insane. Um, and he didn't even need that many reps, by the way. He was very, very quick to it, which you and I know is not always the case. Yeah. Um, and I thought maybe people didn't quite realize the allure he had, especially for this generation of players. Him and Kobe going at it for those scoring titles. I mean, I, you know. Well, Jimmy the other players really respected and revered him, which is something... You know, I hit this point after I released my book where mm -hmm. I wasn't really, f didn't really know any players and mm -hmm. didn't want to. I wanted to be removed. But the most interesting thing that happened to me over the next however many years, getting to know a lot of players and mm -hmm. being, learning stuff was how important it is when the players respect the other players. Yes. And it, like Kobe was really illuminating for me the way everybody I talked to talked about him being like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? That guy's one of the right. best guys. He's impossible to play and right. listing all the things. And I think T-Mac was like that. He's and conversely, right it's funny, like guys like Carl Malone, you you talk to some of the older guys and yeah. these people that statistically were awesome. But then if you talk to the people who played yep. them, they're like, yeah, we could break that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know. when we started with the show, I would say, oh, future Hall of Famer, Tracy McGrady, when I would introduce him and there was a little pushback and I was like, you guys are, you guys are missing it. And of course he was a first ballot Hall of Famer because well, of now course everybody he was. Gets in. Well, <laughs> not everybody gets in. Chris <laughs> Bosh, very upset the other day that he didn't get in. Did you see that? Yeah, but that wasn't, I think once post Kobe, I think they realized they couldn't have like the nine guys getting in. And I think they, it was that this the Kobe year. Kobe thing is going to overshadow Yeah, I think else. this year, honestly, you know what? And, and you know, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot over the past few weeks. We don't have to get into yet Not as much as you. You were like on TV on 24 hours a day. I really was for a long time. But um, I think even before Kobe passed, that the idea of Kobe Bryant, 
Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett being like this trio going into the hall together. I'm not convinced anyone would have broken in with that. Any other male NBA player. It would have been weird to have Bosch with those right? three. Just yeah. sort of randomly. So even before Kobe's death, I think this was probably in the idea of the committee and this is what they would do. I'm interested to see what happens though, because there are borderline guys. Chris, Chris Weber has had a bunch of times being nominated. He hasn't made it in. Ben Wallace hasn't made it in. Chris Bosch says he's disappointed that he wasn't even a finalist this year. That's what That did surprise me that he wasn't even a finalist. Um, and again, I think it's just everyone was like, great, we're not going to include him. So why are we making him a final? The C-Web thing is, is awful. But when you say everybody gets in, everyone doesn't get in. Mitch Richmond got in. That, should, that, well, that yes. To me, that was like a different... The <laughs> C-Web thing, C-Web has things being held against him that in yes. my opinion are fair and unfair. Um, well, it's with Terrell Owens' conversation too, right? Well, it's like, like I think people see C-Web and they're just like, you should have been one of the 30 best guys ever and you weren't. So you're now you're not a Hall of Famer. It's like, well, well no. he was first team All-NBA during this era when we had Dirk and Duncan and KG and Rasheed Wallace. Yep. And he was one of the two best forwards that year. So his peak was as good as those guys and he had injuries. Yes. And, and he kind of tossed away the first seven years of his career by being a dumbass. I also think people hold the Michigan stuff against him. Yeah, right? but that shouldn't matter. I guess it should matter it's, for the Hall of Fame. It's the basketball Hall of Fame. It's the whole thing. They have college, you got, whatever. But yes, my point is, did he, did he earn it on the court or the field in T.O.'s case? So I'm glad he finally got in. Like, did he earn it or not? I would See, I was more against the T.O. thing. Why? Because he was just a bad teammate. And I think that has to matter at some point. Like he he would just blow torch situations. All right. But you'd have guys like Kobe Bryant who would tell you that you need to, quote, have disruption. You need to blow torch situations. How good a teammate was Kobe Bryant in some years? But and Kobe yet, was one of the best eight players of all time. I Tia agree. I'm talking about that disruption in a complimentary way. It. No, right? I, I get it. Right. I mean, look, again, I'm I'm saying this only as a compliment, right? Kobe wouldn't pass his teammates the ball to make a point sometimes, or he wouldn't take a shot to make a point sometimes. He would blowtorch all kinds of situations, and you would go back and talk to him afterward, and he was like, yeah, I'm doing it on purpose. And, and right. that he thought that kind of disruption was good for a team. He always told LeBron that. LeBron did a little bit of that throughout different seasons where he got flack for it, but definitely was sort of needling on purpose. T.O. is a different situation. All these guys are different. They're obviously different personalities. But... I'm not going to say, oh, he blew up locker rooms. It didn't. Did you think that any of Terrell Owens' actions is the reason that they did not win a Super Bowl? I thought the year after the Eagles made the Super Bowl, I thought he completely blowtorched that season. And you thought that like they would have gone back if not for him. It was just, you know, I think we've seen that football, especially guys can go too far with some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's such like a camaraderie sport. You mean doing sit-ups in the driveway is not, <laughs> not something you'd recommend? That's weird. Behavior. Let's take a break to talk about Wave. It's a free, easy-to-use financial software that helps freelancers, consultants, and small business owners make, move, and manage their money, bringing them closer to financial success through accounting, invoicing, payments, and payroll. Just like Chris. Who's Chris? Well, he started his own business three years ago. He's been using Wave ever since. He's never been confident about the financial aspects of running his own business, but since discovering Wave, he was relieved to find a service that made invoicing and payments so straightforward. Waves free accounting, receipt management, and invoicing tools give your business the professionalism it deserves. I wish this existed back in 2015 and in the early 2016 range when we were starting the ringer and I had no effing idea how to do anything. Wave wasn't there for that. Now it's time to ditch the Excel spreadsheets, shoeboxes filled with receipts and lost invoices. Start growing your business. 
set your business up for financial success by signing up for your free account today at waveapps.com slash BS. That's waveapps.com slash BS. The Kobe thing was how he his career was dissected after. And look, this happens and people remember the positive stuff, but you know, he did have that 05 to, I really 04 to 08 stretch that, you know, I don't think he really had a sense of who he was as kind of a teammate and a leader yet. Yeah. I think he was the first one to admit that four or five years later. Later, but, yeah. Um, I, look, I knew when I heard the news, I was like, this is, you almost couldn't wrap your head around it, but it was like, obviously this is going to be a massive deal. I didn't expect it to play out the way it played out, where this is like the biggest celebrity death of our lifetime. It's interesting. I'm thinking about, you know, I was on the, as you said, I was on the air immediately right after. So you have all the stuff you say on the Sunday, on the day, kind of just kind of getting out on TV as people are tuning in throughout the day. People hear the news sort of in waves, right? You were in a tough spot. I was actually watching some of that. Yeah. Um, we were just thrown on the air and you like can't even wrap your head around what happened, but you have to, <laughs> have I thought to I was talk pretty, about it. I thought I was pretty functional and you good were. until as I was literally and they're doing the 10, 9, 8, we're about to go to you thing and the guys start doing the lead in to introduce me. That's when it crossed that Gianna was with him. Right. And there was one time of the 20 times I think I was on the air on that Sunday where they were coming out of something and the thing crossed that Gianna was with him and I'm just sitting there and they go to me and, you know, I've heard you talk about this, like as a parent, um, I, I think it's two completely different levels. There's there's being upset that Kobe Bryant died and this person who you and I knew personally. And yeah. I mean, I've known Kobe Bryant more than half my life. Like yeah. his career just intersected with mine in a way where we were both young together and trying to make it and all this stuff. And we, we had all kinds of conversations about that and what that meant. Um, so there's all of that. But then there is the idea of him, you know, look, going down in the, however long it was, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds with his daughter, knowing as a parent, you're sitting there. I just, it's hard for me to even get out the words about what that must be like for yeah. those 10, 15 seconds and the tragedy of that. And Kobe Bryant died way too young. And considering all he had done in his years, I could have told you the next 20 years where he was going to do even more crazy, incredible stuff. The man won an Oscar two years after retiring from one of the greatest careers in sports, not just basketball, right? So we know his next 20 years would have been full of accomplishment and interesting things. But he did live a full life in the years that he lived. When he died, you list his accomplishments, who he impacted. That would have been enough for an 80-year-old. Gianna was just getting started. Mm. And the tragedy of that to me, is something that on live TV, I started tearing up on live television. Like I couldn't, couldn't help it. Like it, it just, that is so hard. And someone brought up to me later that day, like she could have been the greatest women's basketball player ever, which sounds like, oh yeah, you say that when someone dies, but think about yeah, it. Who knows? She's Kobe Bryant's daughter. Right. She has been bent. So first of all, we know genetically, we know, look at all the sons and grandsons of NBA players in the in the league or whatever that come, Steph Curry and all, you know, having some genetics for it is obviously important. And then she had been trained, and by the way, relentlessly trained, right, by Kobe Bryant since age three at how to play basketball, footwork, everything. She was hell-bent on going to UConn. She, so she was literally going to go to women's basketball finishing school. Yeah. And then she had aspirations on the WNBA and being the kind of player we had never seen before. And there's no reason why she couldn't have done that, right? right? She, she literally had all the tools to do it. 
there's just so much that got lost there. And of course, two other girls with her. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so tragic. And the tragedy of that moment on live TV was hard. The next day when we did a little bit more of, you know, you had your chance to wrap your head around it. Um, we talked to Trace McGrady. We talked to Jerry West on our show. We kind of had people coming through who had played with him. Um, Robert Ory, Brian Shaw. One of the things that sort of when I was trying to figure out how do I start the show was the opening monologue about Kobe um, that I kept coming back to was he defined an entire era of a sport and he defined a place in the way that nobody else had. So when you think about L.A., who's yeah. the most famous person in L.A.? Well, I mean, it, it was it used to be magic. And I think Kobe kind of took a spot. So for 20 years, it was Kobe Bryant. It's yeah. not an actor right? There's no specific actor. Hollywood is famous about LA, but there's no specific actor that you're like, he's LA. And actors are always pretending to be someone else anyway. So he, he really, from when they made the finals after the Gasol trade, I, it wasn't close to happening until that second wave of his yeah. career happened when, uh, from 08 to, and then when it the, to the yep. Achilles season, because yep. that was when he really started to figure out, okay, I got to, I got to do some things better. If I'm, if my legacy is going to be a certain way, I've got to open up more and I've got to talk to more media people and all that stuff. But but you can't tell the story of Los Angeles. You can't. Without Kobe Bryant. But I mean, they almost... You can't tell the story of the NBA without Kobe Bryant. You can't tell the story of this part of American life without Kobe Bryant. And that is why I think it's the celebrity death that has sort of shook people as globally and as much as it has, is that there's so many different fabrics that he is a key thread in and you've ripped that thread out. And it's also just a long period of time. Yeah. Because you think like, I moved to LA in November 2002. Mm -hmm. So he's still playing with Shaq and they're the three-time champs. And he had already been LA to a lot of people right. then. It's not like you moved here at the beginning of him being LA. He was already LA to a lot of people. And then I was trying to get Clipper tickets in 04 and that was when they thought they were getting him and they made a couple trades yep. to open up the cap space. And then he was like, I'm staying with the Lakers. Thanks anyway. <laughs> but that whole stretch, then that other stretch and then somewhere between 08 and 13 it's I never thought anyone would pass magic and even like when I did TV with magic that year and he was like we would talk about it because magic you know he yeah. still feels like of course he would always be like no Kareem's the greatest Laker of all time right. but then he was like but but Kobe's probably the greatest Laker of all time now you know he's been on the team the longest and all right so there's all two, this stuff. there's two sides of that conversation right like who's the greatest player to put on a Lakers jersey that's that's Kareem. Kareem. Yeah. LeBron wants to be in that conversation, that kind of thing. The greatest play, not while he played. So the second, the second category is who's the greatest Laker. Right. right. So who's the greatest player to ever put on a Laker jersey even for five minutes? Well, it has to be that no, there's three conversations then. Okay. The greatest player to be wearing a Laker jersey when he was actually at a great point in his life. So you're breaking yeah, you're breaking down category one. LeBron. LeBron's probably, he's the second best player ever. So he's the greatest guy who's ever put on Laker jersey. And then right. he had the best Laker career. Right. Kobe just, it was, you know, the, the amount of time is just more than what Magic did. Right. Magic was 12 years. What's interesting is I had that conversation on one of our shows six months ago. And the overwhelming consensus of the guys on set was the greatest Laker was still Magic Johnson. That's how I feel. You had the conversation after Kobe's death. Magic Johnson came out and said Kobe was the greatest Laker. And then a lot of people are like, well, no, no, no. Kobe's the greatest Laker. And I can't tell no, he if the, it's the haze of the it's tragedy. It's the career, of but Ma Magic's just peak was just 
he was just better. I mean, he's he's still one of the top five guys ever, and he won multiple MVPs. And I mean, it's a good problem. If you're stuff. a Laker fan, it's a good problem to have, right? Yeah. Gee, Kobe or Magic, which was the better Laker? I mean, it's two of the best the careers though, in the history of basketball. But the difference is basketball is just way bigger during Kobe's yes. career than it was during Magic's career. I mean, like, I was— and Magic's, I talked about this, Magic's but, career got cut short. Let's not forget that his either. His career got sh- cut short, but also, like, they weren't on that much. Right. If they were here in L.A. and you could see him, but in Boston, and I saw him on CBS on Sundays every once in a while and then in the playoffs sometimes. Right. And basketball became this 24-7 sport at some point over the last 12 years. And just— You're telling me. <laughs> I mean, now it's like literally 24-7. When we started the jump, it was a half-hour show. And it was only four years ago. It was a half-hour show just during the season. And in just four years, we are an hour show. We go year-round. And I would say some of our peak best ratings are in July. And Well, you just- left out the part that they wouldn't even have an NBA show from the last four years I was there. We used to talk, I used to talk about it with Adam Silver. I was like, how do we get them to have a daily NBA show? They have a daily NFL show. And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know why they won't do that. He would get mad about it. But <laughs> it was I, I, the ESPN people would tell you like, no, it's, there's no way to sustain a rating. It's not yes. going to happen. It was, it was a back and forth. I wouldn't have left Turner if they hadn't committed to do it. And yeah. I didn't think I was leaving Turner. In the in the stretch, stretch whatever you know, I had I had been at Turner at TNT and had a, my own show on CNN. It was a great combination. I could do kind of two different things. I love being part of TNT basketball. They let me do TBS playoffs for baseball. That was really fun. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was a great time. I love those guys. I Nothing love like those dugout interviews. Don't don't mock those managers. Don't mock. You're interviewing a guy, a, gr- a, grown, a grown adult who's wearing pajamas, a baseball uniform in pajamas. <laughs> Nothing. That's a career don't mock highlight. Me. Don't mock me. Look, seven year old guy wearing a baseball uniform. Bill Simmons. That's I was on great... the field when the Red Sox won the World Series. Oh, that's that's so, wonderful. There you go. In St. Louis. <laughs> what do you do with those dugout interviews? Because um, you... those managers are like, it's not like basketball where you go like, what's going on out there? And it's like, oh, we got to stop them from shooting the threes. Baseball, it's like. Talk about pitching. I really, really you hope talk, we hit the ball better. Talk about pitching. I hope mean, we people throw more do strikes. baseball broadcasts. It's not like there's not an analysis to be had. I'm good with no manager in-game <laughs> interviews ever. I mean, the coach well, interviews. It was fun for me, Bell. It was no, fun I know for me. No, I'm sure it was fun for you. <laughs> what do you think about the coach, NBA coach interviews? I, I, you know what? I, I think that making the sport more accessible to more people is a good thing. The XFL was not something I was like, by nature, super interested in, but I like the way it's being presented. I like the access you get. I I just think that people say, oh, the media, it's not the media. The media is a conduit to the fan. The media is just sort of the the vehicle, right, for fans to get access to the game. Um, And and I think anytime fans can get a little bit more access to the game, and yeah, most of them are nothing and inconsequential, but you do get a couple great Popovich, Rick Carlisle. I mean, so Brad Stevens gives you a moment every once in a while. You get moments from these guys every once in a while. I'm out. That are good. I'm out. You're out. You know what I love, though? Hmm. The post-game interview. Post-game interview. I like grabbing the person right, right after, after the, the game because they'll all... actually say something. They will, yeah. You were really good at pulling. Thank you. It's the first question's crucial. Yep. And then they let down their defense a little. And then, like, the third question, you can really get something. And also, the, there's a good, there's a night. Nice, having done the work ahead of time gets rewarded in those moments. And I like that, right? So I've covered the NBA for two decades now. So every single guy playing now, I was there when they came in. 
I have done the work of talking to them year after year after year. I've checked in with them. I still go to a ton of games. That's just because I have a studio job. I go to games. One of my big things with the jump was that the jump would go to games, that the show would be right. on the road. Um, that was definitely not like the norm for a studio show at ESPN during the season, just to regularly sort of jump and go to not games. Not hard to put some chairs and two cameras on the court. They would always act like it was like they were building a plane. I it's just like, think, just throw some chairs in the court and <laughs> let's go. I just think it wasn't, the way, it wasn't the way people thought of it. But for me... I like it because it could, me, You're right there. Yeah, you it's exciting. You, you can't legit talk about all these guys and say with authority that you know what you're talking about if you haven't talked to them. Right. Right? So to me... Even at the end of games, getting to talk to the, you know, it was a way to show the work of being like, hey, this guy and I have had conversations now for 10 years going. Here's another one. And and you almost look at that like another continuing in the conversation. And again, that is something that gives fans um, more of a way in and influence the jump when we started it. Because again, to me, it was it should just feel like a conversation. It should feel like sitting around talking about basketball because those are the best interviews I do. A lot of the good interviews I do, I'm not even asking questions at the end of every question. I'll sort of bring something up the same way you're doing in this podcast, right? Yeah. And then they jump in and then you jump in. And that to me is just as good an interview as a, you know, who, what, why, or where question. What did you, what solution did you have to the height discrepancy as you're interviewing these guys after games? I had a, a very, LeBron very is established like technique. Nine. All right. So this is, seriously, this is something I put you know, a lot no, of thought I'm into. Sure, I'm sure you solved <laughs> you this. You bring like this it was up a mockingly? I wasn't mocking you. I'm, I'm, all, this is a genuine question. People were probably like, well, wait, how short is she, right? I want to bring up the fact that at ESPN, and you know this, you I'm worked for ESPN for I'm not saying you're like Vern Troyer, but well, you're... Well, I will say this. When the standard boilerplate ESPN language of your contract is, I don't know if you ever noticed, there's a paragraph in there that says this is the job that they're hiring you for, but they do have the right to reassign you to any part of Disney. Did you, did you know that that was in no, your 16 one years of, the of ESPN contracts you never paid attention to? Yeah. So I live in fear they're going to cancel the jump and reassign me to the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs ride because <laughs> it's close. It's really close. So I'm like 5'4 on a good day, right? And my rule was if, I, if the player was within a foot of my height, that was okay, right? Because I would wear heels. The player would be within So you're talking basically— inches, So 6'4 and under. So even Kobe is too high. Oh for yeah, that yeah. At that no, point. no, no. Yeah. So, six so anyone in the Curry, any small forward or tall shooting guard right, is right. You know, whatever. But yeah. So like the Steph Curry's or the whatever. There, there are players. You don't have to be a shrimp, but like you know, six four or under, um, that's fine. And I would, I would wear heels, and so I'd be like, you know, ten inch discrepancy max, nine inches, whatever. Anyone over six four, and I would check. <laughs> I would check just to make sure that I wasn't like thinking of the person wrong or whatever. I would bring them over to the scores table. Ask them to sit. You know how you like sit oh, half the lean, lean down. on the yeah, scorer's yeah, yeah, table? Yeah. I would stand and they would sit on the scorer's table and that's how we did the interview. And it got to the point where I did this enough and for long enough that they would be, the PR person is the one who brings the guy over and they'd be, oh, it's Rachel. And, they'd be, and I had players who would take the PR person by the arm and say, no, no, we got to go over the oh, scorer's they instinctively table. Knew it was right, the Rachel does it over there. <laughs> they didn't know that I did it over there with them, but with shorter guys, I didn't necessarily do that. But I had to have a whole thing. That's really smart though. I mean, you know, some Because LeBron's some like of us, six, eight and a half. Yeah, it's not pretty in me next to those guys. And then you're interviewing someone's belly button. It was really when I started well, you doing have, like, Shaq. You're reaching up right. like you're no, like no, grabbing I mean, for I an think, apple or I something. I think it was when I first started having to do it with Shaq. No joke, where I was just like, this is obscene looking. Like, it's just not right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. So I was like, you sit down. I was like, you sit and I will stand and then we will do this. And then, you know, there you go. So those guys are yes. the best guys, though, because for whatever reason, the NBA has the most fun people to talk 
Yes. Out of all the sports. Yes. And I don't know how that happened because it certainly <laughs> wasn't the case when I was growing up. I think that this, this We had magic era, and magic's like, man, fucking magic's the best, best. man. What a great interview. <laughs> right? Now there's like 20 magics. I think, I think it's a whole bunch of things, right? I think that guys uh, are much more sort of camera ready by the time they get to the league because they've grown up seeing video in their life more and, and being around video. And how many, how many pictures of your kids and video are in your phone? Oh thousands. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. How many videos have your kids been in? Tens of thousands of videos over their life. How many videos do you think that Larry Bird had been in before he got True. to the league? Right. I mean, he was a legendary, local, terrible interview. Right. For but his he had been year. on the local news maybe 12 times, maybe 20 times. Your children have been in tens of thousands of videos. So by the time these kids get to the league, first of all, they're much more used to what it does and what it means to sit in front of a camera and talk. They're much more comfortable. They're much more themselves because they're not like, oh my God, the camera's on. Um, and I think that the NBA in this era of the NBA, and I give David credit for the end of his time and certainly Adam credit for what he's done, encourages all this stuff. David wanted stars, right? Yeah. He, he, you know, from Magic and Larry on, it was stars, stars, stars. So he would encourage guys to be stars, do it, show your personality, wear what you want to wear, be mouth off, do that kind of thing. Now, by the way, wear what you want to wear took a hit at one point during the 90s. But I'm just saying that, that the idea that these guys' personalities were encouraged and not discouraged is, is something that I think has then spawned what we have today. And it trickles down. I was watching high school semifinals. Mm -hmm. On Channel 56 here in L.A. You need a life, Bill Simmons. Wind, no, we knew one of the kids. It was right. Windward against somebody. All and right. this 10th grader on Windward, his name's Kajani or something, but he went to my daughter's school, but he was a couple years older. But okay. he's a sophomore and he's like the, I don't know, seventh highest ranked sophomore sure. in the country. Yes. So they win this game and they interview him after. And it was like... He, it was like watching Will Smith promote Bad Boys too. I was like, how the fuck is this guy this good? He's 16. Because his mom, just like you, has 10,000 videos on her right. phone of him this from age two on. He's laying it down. I was like, throw this guy on inside the NBA. Right, he's, there you go. high school sophomore. I wouldn't have been able to have a conversation with anybody. These, so these bigger interviews you, you do. Yeah. One thing that I feel like has shifted with the NBA at least a little bit is you know, all these guys have their teams, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're basically like, there's no difference between Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Wait, all these guys have their teams. What do you mean? Guys I mean, have always the, had teams in the NBA, I mean, they're Bill. teams of people. <laughs> oh, oh, like they're, 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 they're group they're, okay. that watch out for them. Don't become Phil Jackson here. Careful with your words. No, I'm talking about like, <laughs> I'm teasing you. they have like a media strategist. <laughs> They have their agents. Some guys do. They have not, a manager. Not every guy does. Some they, guys they do. They all have their little group, though, that they trust who looks out for stuff. If you think that Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler have media strategists, you haven't spent that much time with Jimmy them. Butler definitely does not have a media strategist. Yes. <laughs> Embiid, I don't know, though. Embiid has his agents, I think he trusts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think these guys yeah. are very careful about what they do. And it's like, oh, GQ wants to do a cover yes, story about absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll do the cover on that. Great. Yep. You have to do an interview with them. Don't say anything too crazy. Sure. You get an hour with James Harden. Yep. Ask him this and we'll have somebody sitting there. Um, it reminds me of what, almost like what's going on, what's happened with Hollywood over the last 40 years, where you have, when people do these interviews now, there's some sort of reason they're doing it. They're yes. not just like, you couldn't go, hey, LeBron, come on the jump on mm -hmm. Tuesday at three. He's mm -hmm. not doing that. Mm -hmm. But if he had some documentary he was promoting, mm -hmm. maybe he'd come on for a segment or something. Mm -hmm. um, is it harder to do? 
it journalism depends, when there's all these kind of it depends on the guy now depends on the guy um we are fortunate enough that i'm able to get interviews without someone promoting something per se so right. normally i like to talk to players when they're going through some kind of change I think that that's the most interesting, right? Like Paul so, George coming to the Clippers. Paul George coming to the Clippers. I sat down with Paul and Kawhi their first, like when they first got to the Clippers together because that was a huge change, obviously, for both of them. How did this happen? What does it feel like? All of that kind of stuff. How did we get here? Where are we going from here? All of that is a great moment. Um, I sat down with Zion Williamson this week and he is going through a huge change, right? Yeah. And to me, even... I mean, I talked to him when he was drafted and that was a huge change. We did an interview then. I was pretty excited to talk to him this week and I was kind of glad that he had the 10 games under his belt. I didn't, yeah. I, I was excited to do it now as opposed to, um, you know, it was some talk of doing him before he started playing and when he hadn't been, you know, when, when he was still injured and we were just like, you know what? Like both sides were kind of like, let's wait, let's wait. Because this change of what it has been like since he started playing has been crazy, right? His first 10 games have been insane. Well, he's... He's beloved. He is. And he's my favorite player. I was gonna say with good reason. I hope I you were. Love Zion. I hope you were not going to get into a why. Why are people liking Zion so much? Because we would have he, to have words. I like him because he's amazing to watch. He and is, anytime off, he's on television, the it's the game I want to watch because no, he's playing in it. It's amazing. He yeah. jumps off the screen. But what was interesting to me and what we talked about the the biggest chunk of of subject we talked about in this interview was. Dude, he was in he was in high school two years ago. Right, he was a high school senior going to English class English class with his teacher asking him to write poetry lines in like South Carolina, in right? South Car yeah, like like like. But come he was a on. House of Highlights star at that point. Yeah, but that's that's still. I mean, you know that, and I, I knew know him that, as a junior because he was just but, this dude on Instagram. Right, but that you were watching Channel Fifty Six, tenth graders, whatever. Right. That is not the norm. Right, he was able to go through his daily life as a high school senior without True. this. And in the last two years, people, like he told me in this interview, people are following him to restaurants. Like he's going to dinner that and someone's it's following gonna him. It's going to get way worse than that. I know. But if you're 19, he's the fourth youngest player in the NBA. He's yeah. still young. How old are your oldest? Jason Tatum is still the youngest player in the NBA. Is he really? No. no. I was like, wait a minute. No, he's not. <laughs> no, that was a big thing with Jason <laughs> was, it Tatum. It was for a while. Was, was I was like, like wait a minute. Was. I was like, that's not possible. He's only 19. But when you say something with certainty about the Celtics, it <laughs> makes me think. It makes me think, maybe. <laughs> is Bill right? How yeah. is that possible? Is, is Bill right? Is Tatum that true? and Brown combined are still like six years younger than I am. No. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're still me. kids. You're old now. You're I'm, at the I don't I'm give really a fuck old. stage. I'm the You're old. old. Guy. You're at the I don't give no, a fuck stage. No, I'm not at the Kornheiser stage yet. That's well, the that's stage the I want to get to. That's it. We all want to get there. I give zero fucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to give my opinion at all times yep. on anything. Yep. The, uh, the, all right. So you do Zion. Right. So, so well, that so did not your, require a bunch of handlers. What's your goal with that interview? Or, because you know you're not getting that much, but you yeah. also want to get, like, what's the number one thing you want? That that topic was the number one thing I wanted to kind of talk to him about. Your life is so different now. What's it like? Just just what is it like to be going through this, right? Yeah. Because we are seeing what you and I think could be the beginning of another LeBron, right? The beginning of another, like, iconic Magic Johnson, another iconic player. I'm just in fear all the time he's going to get hurt. Well, sure. Yes. I, I hate the way he walks. <laughs> That his, I'm his sure he gait, doesn't like how you walk either. No, Bill. no, his gait just makes me nervous. He's he's got, you know, he's kind of his his knees are what out, are but his I legs wish are going could in. See what you're doing right now I'm with your like, body. I just Bill is standing here. He's sitting, by the way, imitating walking while he's still. You're still I, sitting. I, it was a bad you imitation. Have both elbows up in his like an L shape. Going a lot of directions. It makes me nervous. And then like 
He's just jumping over guys. Yes. Like guys are going up for a rebound and Zion's coming in sideways and he just taking it from the them. He did a block the other day where his John head Morant was above makes me the nervous rim. Too. Yeah, John Morant makes me really nervous because he doesn't That's give a shit. That's how I know you're a parent. When you were younger, you're like, man, look at these fucking cool things people were doing. And now you're like, oh, that makes me nervous. Well, he's, he's John Morant's hurt trying himself. to dunk over seven footers from 15 feet away. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, working. Yeah, I know. It's just, <laughs> I do get nervous. Derek, we want to see it. So that is true. When I had kids, you start getting more nervous. Because yes. I remember Derek Rose used to make me super nervous when I watched him early right? in his career. Because I was projecting. like, man, settle down. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so yes, that was the biggest thing I wanted to find out because that's this moment of his life, right? So I hope that he has a long career. I will interview him a bunch. We will check in with him at different stages. This moment is about what is it like to become crazy famous and just to just sort of start to understand what you can do on a basketball court because that's what this moment is about. Yeah. And then in two years or a year, it'll be a different moment. I always say that um, I, th doing interviews has been one of my favorite things and parts of this job. And it's something that I will want to always do. And it appeals to me so much because you get this crazy sort of window into someone's life in that moment, right? And then if you can do it long enough, you can check in with them over and over again. And to have a front row seat to anyone's life over, you know, I look at LeBron. I met LeBron when he was a senior in high school. Yeah. The first time I interviewed him. And I've interviewed him as recently as this year, year 17 of his career. And to have a front row seat to anyone's life for two decades, that's pretty cool. I mean, it could be a school teacher in Milwaukee. Like that would be a pretty cool thing to be able to check in with someone year after year after year. What's changed? What's going on with you? You know, how are these things happening? What are you experiencing? When the thing isn't teaching school in Milwaukee, but it's operating on this incredible international stage with some of the craziest athletic feats in the world with any of these guys it becomes such a cool thing to be able to keep doing. So I'm excited to sort of see Zion at the beginning of these first chapters and then continuing to tell that story throughout what I hope is and think is going to be a really crazy good long career. One more break to talk about Square. They make that little white reader that lets anyone take credit cards, but running and growing a business takes so much more than payments. That's why Square builds so many more tools that can help like point of sale software, invoices you can send right from your phone, easy to build websites to help you sell online, access to business loans to help you manage your cash flow, purchase new equipment, or whatever it is you need to do to grow your business. No complicated contracts or weird fees. You always get your money fast, even instantly. Square makes all these tools. They're all in one place. They're all built to work together, whether you're an online retailer, a restaurant owner, a hairstylist, a skydiving teacher, whatever. Square has tools to help you, no matter what size or stage of business you're at. See all the ways Square can take your business from square one to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS. Loan subject to credit approval issued by Celtic Bank member FDIC. So the worst interviews are harder in Westbrook. They're just not giving anything. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Uh, James Harden, I have an interview with James Harden that's coming out next week. Yeah. We did it a couple of days ago. Did he ago. say anything? He said a lot. Get out of here. I don't <laughs> yep. believe it. No way. <laughs> I'm going to check in with you after it runs. I don't want to give too much away. Stop but, it. Um, look, it was, was it the most sort of, in, you know, did, did he spill the beans the most of all time? No. Of course not. But he said some stuff that will make some headlines. Really? Yes. I'm just going to leave it at that. And then Westbrook just has complete disdain for all this stuff unless you're Westbrook, talking about Tom Ford. I can't think of the last, I can't. I'm sure someone can can come up with it. We'll be listening to this and we'll send me a tweet or something. But I can't remember the last sit down television interview Russell Westbrook did. He doesn't care. 
that was just sort of an interview that wasn't promoting something that wasn't about something, you know, like, as you said, fashion and, and is usually associated with like a magazine or something like that. What's the Giannis upside for an interview these days? For, for me or for him? No, just in general. He's pretty good now. He's great. I yeah. think he's, I love talking to him. I saw him a bunch at All-Star. He's, he's, he's thoughtful. Yeah. He's, he's I haven't never so had him on a pod or anything. He's so smart. And he also has experienced, I mean, think about the change he's gone through, right? Think about his life and just sort of, again, like you could tell that story and without even the basketball in it. Right. And it would be super interesting. And now also he's the great, he's, you know, he's the MVP of the NBA, which is insane. Um, I was with him this weekend in an event where he was talking a little bit more candidly. It was a small thing. So he was a little more candid and open about being an illegal immigrant in Greece with his parents and how they were not in the country legally and that they really had to like, that his parents were like, don't talk to too many people. We can only trust so many people to turn us in or not turn us in, like that kind of stuff. Um, talking about, and he's told the story before about how there was a local sort of coffee breakfast diner shop um, where he tried to get a job when he was a teenager because his family needed money and they didn't have enough food. Yeah. And he was like, I need a job. And the guy looked at him and he knew the family from kind of around the neighborhood. And he was like, you need to go to school is what you need. And you need to focus. You, you play basketball and you need to go to school and whatever. And it wasn't even really a basketball. It was a school that the guy said. He's like, you need to go to, to school. He's like, just come in in the mornings and I will give you breakfast. And he gave him and his brother's breakfast. And like, not for any reason, not because he thought he was going to become Giannis Antetokounmpo MVP in the NBA, but because those kindnesses from strangers is literally how he survived being a teenager. And then goes on to have this crazy career and adaptation and his work ethic is off the charts. I mean, obviously his physical gifts are crazy, but he we saw saw him when he was drafted, right? That kid wasn't destined to be an MVP. Well, he but also he worked grew himself three inches, which really helped. He did, but he grew, he put on a ton of muscle and just did a ton of work on his body. And he has been in the gym religiously and still is to this day. That's why they drafted. I did that draft and we had, he got picked like 13th and mm -hmm. we were kind of like, okay. Yeah. Like nobody thought no. like, oh. No, he was a name on a list. Pick. He was a name on a list. Yeah, you didn't we, know much about him going in. You didn't know it. much about it going out. Right? I praised it. It's it's on my tombstone. Right? I praised <laughs> it. I was like, good pick. I like the value there. You I had no idea. You know what mine is? What? I said they should. I said I said everyone should have taken Luca first. I feel like good. Oh, that's a good that's, one. That's it's on TV. We, there's a few. I of us. said it. We'll invite I you to like, the meetings. Me good. and KOC I was were on like, there. I was like, ha! It's on. It's on record. It's on video. I was. My big thing about that was. Um, it's really, it was really, that draft was so interesting to me because it told the story of front office people being more scared to make a mistake than they were more interested in being right. Well, and also people just devaluing the EuroLeague. But I mean. And it's like, it was almost was like what he was MVP doing didn't matter. I know, and they didn't care. of the second best M basketball league in the world. And he played like 90 games. But it I was think, the dumbest. Yes. I, it was stupid. Yes. I, I see what the are your Phoenix other, side. What are your other, I'm on record I've had out. some good ones. All right, tell me, tell me, what are your best? The the Minnesota passing Curry twice. I had a heart attack. <laughs> on I was right. doing draft diaries, right. so I've had some good ones. Right. That one, um, Chris Paul dropping to fourth. I went nuts on that. I've missed too. I've had some misses, but Darko going second. I was went crazy. For we that. were just having the Darko conversation today. Like, I don't obviously. You should they they should have picked Mello. They should have picked Mello. They should have picked Mello. And when someone's a trans, you know, a talent, and, and Mello was such a high school star too. It's not like he came out of nowhere. But they had Rip Hamilton, so at least like I understand what Joe Dumars was thinking. It still wasn't the right decision in retrospect. But and he Joe Dumars wouldn't make that same. Well, decision Well, there was again. also like the the draft workouts and stuff. This yeah. was before people realized not to overvalue the draft workouts yes. and really start trying to find out more about the person. Yes, and I just feel like work ethic. 
like switching sports to football, it makes yeah. me so mad the Patriots didn't take Debo Samuel because it's like everything you read about that dude, he's like first one there, last one to leave. And and that's like the perfect Belichick guy. Right. He's like, we've succeeded with these guys all the time. <laughs> and the basketball is the same thing. I don't think you would have any idea about Giannis. But somebody like Tatum, if you did yeah. the research, which I think the Celtics did. Guess they who knew did? Was, Guess who did the yeah. research? Danny Ainge. Right. Guess who didn't? <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the they Sixers. knew from St. Louis. That, by the way, and, is going to go down Duke. as one of the great heists of all time. Danny gets upset with me because I actually, I did a sit down with Danny earlier this year. And I said to him, I said, you know that I say on TV all the time that people should hang up the phone when you call. He's like, Rachel, don't say that. Don't say that. That's not true. Uh, we do fair trades. We do fair trades. I was like, it's just not true, Danny. You've taken the lunch money of the last six people that you've made a deal with. He got criticized when he made the trade. So anybody who goes back now and says, like, he took a lot of shit that for not taking That was highway robbery. He got Jason Tatum and a first round, a, no, a first round. the Kings pick. And, and the Kings well, the, pick, Well, the, the right? bummer was the karma from that trade. We got screwed with the Kings pick last year. They just randomly won 40 games. Right, and, well. and then this year we had the Memphis pick. They're just randomly going to make the playoffs. <laughs> and it's like, these were these two, you know. right. It's a bummer, well, but you the know Tatum what, thing worked out at least. Also, and I know Kyrie did, the story of Kyrie did not end the way Boston fans would have wanted it to and the idea that, that he would become this franchise player. We don't discuss him on this podcast. I understand. <laughs> that trade was still, even with the way things worked out, that trade was still in Boston's favor. So The, the sneaky thing that happened with the Celts was Horford leaving. Because I think- That's also in Boston's favor, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Okay. They were I thought you were going to say that that was a hit. No. No, that the fact that they were ready to give him like three years, 90 million. And I still think he's a valuable rotation yeah. guy, but he's not Al Horford. The, he's not in his prime anymore. Yeah. And that those are the kind of contracts that you can't come back from. Well, where we'll you're see. paying. Philadelphia's got a couple of those. <laughs> although everything's so, so uh, the contracts are shorter, like in yeah. the two, early 2000s. When did you start doing the NBA for Turner? Um, well, no, I started doing the NBA for the Washington Post. I had no, but when, for, you, when were you on oh, TV though? I did the NBA for ESPN first. I was at ESPN for almost a decade and then was at Turner for three years and then came back to ESPN. Okay. So, but yes, I was doing the NBA so and we, I was in DC for the Washington Post when Chris Webber had his seven year contract. So all of those guys, that's what you're yeah, talking so about, that, right? The yeah, Juwan Howard, mid, the Chris Webber. To yes. the late, probably like the 2007 range yes. where if you gave somebody a seven year, $106 million deal and yes. two years in, it's a catastrophe. Yes. And by the way, they didn't want to be there anymore, but right. they didn't really have any leverage because they still had five years left on their deal. I mean, this is a position Carly Anthony Towns is in right now. And then, you know, the—by the by, 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 sorry, I'm going to time out. I am not saying or reporting that Carly Anthony Towns doesn't want to be in Minnesota. Someone's going to take that out of context. I just meant that Are you worried about are, the aggregators? Yeah. God. Can I—I'm going to say it then, and I don't care if I'm taking that out of context. He signed that deal. He grabbed the money, and he was like, if it doesn't work out, I'll just try to push for a trade— you can't Next try. Season. You can't push for a trade if you've got that many years left, though. I, That's I'll believe point. anything at this point. <laughs> Honestly, like, look what Jimmy Butler had to do to get out of there. Yeah, but he got out. All these guys get out. It took. It took. Or they get bought out. Took a lot. Demar Carroll's like, I'm not happy with the Spurs anymore. Yes. I'd rather go to another team. They're like, cool. We'll buy you out, and <laughs> next year your salary will count against our cap. It's like. How about just saying, hey, Damari, show up to work. We right. might need you. Well, We're I paying mean, you anyway. That's what Greg Popovich did with LaMarcus Aldridge, though, is that LaMarcus still had time left on his deal. He was not happy with the way he was being used. He didn't think that he was sort of playing the style he should be playing. He talked about wanting out, and he and Pop sat down and had dinner. And Pop, I asked Pop, I said, so what did you say to him? And Pop was great, because Pop is great when you get him in the right mood. And he said, well, I told him if he can work himself out of trade, for, you know, I think he said, you know, LeBron James, 
or Kevin, no, Kevin Durant. He goes, yeah. if he can work himself out a trade for Kevin Durant, I will drive him to the airport. I said, I'll drive you there myself. Unless you can work that out, you're staying here. So we better work this out. And then they had a productive conversation about, and Pop, again, to his credit, said, I learned from that dinner that I could put, I could, I was trying to force my style of play on him and I could do a better job letting his style of play dictate. And he had a much better season the next season. So it, guys are not, you know, I, I think there was a narrative for a while that like, oh, they're all forcing their way out right and left. And obviously Jimmy Butler, you know, that whole situation and some of the other situations, you know, Anthony Davis fed that, that narrative, but that they're narrative all a is little not bit over. different. That's Who's, just, that's just the way the NBA is going to be now. I think it just depends on what year of the contract if, the guy's in. If these guys did this with relationships, nobody would ever get married. <laughs> or if they got married, there would be a lot of annulled marriages. <laughs> it's just like, what's good lately? Right. Okay, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Well, guys are short signing, to your point, guys are signing shorter deals now. So look at the Clippers, right? Shorter deals with a ton of leverage. Right. Kawhi and Paul are actually only there for two seasons. The contracts are longer, but they're player options. The Clippers didn't know that, though. What do you mean they didn't know it? They signed the contract. They didn't know the two-year out thing when they traded all those picks. I'm That's, positive they wouldn't have done I that. Disagree. I disagree. They did not know the two-year thing. I think that was one of those things like, oh, and by the way, after they had already gone down the right. road with this stuff. <laughs> I don't think, so? think they knew that. I really don't. Hmm. All right. I don't think that one came up. All right. <laughs> That's a lot to give up for two years. Yeah, but you're giving it, you're, you're giving it up for, for the possibility of them. The Clippers needed that tra- The Clippers needed Kawhi to come then. If they hadn't, if Kawhi had not picked them and picked the Lakers, which was really the other option he was considering, and Masai Ujiri will tell you he thinks that too, um, what would that have meant for the Clippers franchise? After I all be- they did right, after, I mean, you you had Clippers season tickets for, I don't think you still do, right? Do, or do oh, you? I sure do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. So you, Mr. They Clippers. They finally paid off. You, Mr. Clipper, tell the, me. I'm still way in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> after all the Clippers did getting the organization right, getting the right owner, getting the right front office, all the smart, shrewd moves they made, all the way they rehabilitated the reputation of the franchise. If this summer, Kawhi Leonard had looked at them and everything they did right, and the Lakers, and think about what kind of mess the Lakers were in at that point with Magic Johnson walking away and everything else. Yeah. And he had picked the Lakers instead. That would have been a just death blow for the Clippers organization. They had to get him to sign. They had to make the trade for Paul George. The more I think they about it, I think they should have played years. chicken with him. I think you want to come to the Clippers. I don't think he want to play with LeBron. I don't think it was, I mean, look, and now I'm not speaking. I really think this he is did all not speculation want to play with Because Kawhi has not shared his deepest, darkest, innermost thoughts with anyone. And never but, will. <laughs> but, um, but I think that the Clippers were his first choice. The idea of starting his own thing or having his own thing or being the guy was his first choice. But I don't think he was interested, and this is just my opinion, in going to a subpar team where it would be him playing in the same building as LeBron and Anthony Davis, but not having someone next to him that he considered of that top 10 player level Mm. and having to go into the same building down that same hallway night in and night out and be the other guy on the other team that wasn't going to make the playoffs as far or anything like that. Maybe should have like gone out of Toronto. I mean, people in that Toronto. That team would be the best team in the league. Kawhi and Dine. They that would have been unbelievable. They tried. How's it going with Goodell? <laughs> I see him every once in a while and stuff. Do you really? I do. Not that often because I'm not that much football stuff anymore. But we, we have a lovely chatting in a hallway in front of other people, smiling relationship. You know those kinds of relationships. I really felt like I needed other soldiers on the frontier <laughs> and you really delivered at that press I, conference. I, I'm glad I could be I'd there for you. I loved you for life after that. I'm glad I could be there for you. There weren't a lot of us. That look, no. Um, but th- look, that's there's there's so many times where like you got to just ask the question because 
it's sitting there right in front of everyone's face. That's true in some of these interviews too. And, and guys know that when they sit down with me. I don't do ambush shit. Like that's right. not my thing. I will, I will tell, if I'm going to ask a guy's tough stuff in an interview, I will tell them on the way in. I'm like, hey, I'm not shying away from this. Mark Cuban, after that sexual harassment report came out, um, came on the show that day. And I was very open with him. I said, you want to do this because I'm going to ask you the tough questions. Right. And you have to. And by the way, that's the, that's what the NFL in that moment didn't realize. But like, if you were in a situation where you fucked up, like, that's the smartest thing to do. Let someone ask you the tough questions. Answer them the best you can. And then everyone can move on. It's when all those questions are still lingering because no one's been, you, you haven't allowed anyone to ask them. It's, you kind shut of, it's like down. how Bloomberg handled that. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no, that's the opposite of maybe, maybe. <laughs> My question for you. Yeah. Because I'm getting, I'm coming to you in a key moment of your life. How are you doing with the Tom Brady uncertainty? I'm checking in in this difficult time for Bill I'm Simmons. way more worried about Kyle. Are you thinking also nephew Kyle, the Patriots? No, nephew Kyle is, had, does not remember life without Tom Brady. Right. His favorite player. And I said to him last week, like, hey, if we got Teddy Bridgewater and Brady left for like, one third of the money would be cool with that. And Kyle's like, fuck that. <laughs> so, but all of us, I don't know. This feels to me like Kobe's last two years in the Lakers where it's like this ceremonial giant paycheck. Thanks for everything. But no, you can't actually not, compete. No, that's not, that's not. He's going to be 43. He's, there's no track record whatsoever of him. It's only going to get worse. It's not like he's going to be like, well, would it come back year for Brady? Man, he's moving better than ever. He's, so do you want him to not resign? If we're going to pay him $30 million a year, then then they should just, at that point, it's like, what are we trying to do? All right. So, you're, so is this like we care more about you're Brady? You're Robert Kraft. What, what decision are you making? I would tell him, I would probably let him go. Wow. I would. I can't believe these it's words are coming football. out of your mouth. You can't. It's not like in basketball, at least you could say, all right, we'll pay Kobe $25 million a year. Mm-hmm. He'll walk off into the sunset. He'll take a bunch of shots. We'll quietly rebuild and get some lottery picks, and right. then we'll be able to retool. You can't do that in football. You can't, like, there's no, like, tanking a football season, and Belichick's never going to do that anyway. No. He's more concerned about his legacy than anything. Yes. And he's not going to pay Tom Brady $30 million. So I actually think he's going to leave. So this now I know what's going to get aggregated. Bill Simmons wants Tom Brady off the Patriots. That's what's going to get aggregated. I don't want him podcast. off the Patriots. I don't want to pay him $30 million a season. And not be able to compete because he feels like he's owed money. I think that's, I think that's, I think it's crazy for Dak Prescott to make $40 million. What do you think is out there for Brady though? Do you think that he's going to come back to the Patriots a little bit like, eh, maybe guys well, are something else for less. My hope is that uh, this is all like a big song and dance to try to put pressure on the team, but he's not actually going to leave because right. you don't want, do you want to be Hakeem in Toronto and Patrick Ewing in Seattle well, that's and what I'm Emmett Smith what do you in Arizona? Think, what do you think his options are? And I don't mean to get paid because someone out there will pay him to have Tom Brady. The Chargers writer rumored to pay him. Is that My right? fear is that he really, honestly, it's like a Tom Cruise thing where he feels like he's achieved this higher being status. Right. And then he- Of, oh no, I can absolutely play until I'm 46. I figured this out. Like he really- Oh, he definitely believes that. that. You know that he thinks that. I know he does. Yes. So- but it's at what point do you go? I believe this so strongly. I'm going to play for the Vegas Raiders. <laughs> That's my point. My point is that he can get the money somewhere else. We know that. We know that some team. But where that like has. But the, the question is, will those options of where he can get the money feel so cheap that he won't want to do it? That it would be bad for his 
brand or legacy or however he thinks of it. And therefore, we'll go back to the Patriots and being like, okay, a little bit less is okay. Because I, you know, I just, do you think he will have an option, another good option out there that will both pay him and not feel? It should be the Chargers. So you think that that would feel okay? If I was the Chargers, I would pay him like $90 million for three years If or you were Tom Brady, would you go to the Chargers for $30 million a year? I don't know the history of acrimony with him and the Pats, but there's clearly something, there's something way there. off. Yeah, we know. Like he clearly there. feels like he took less. Yeah. It was going to be made up for him and it actually wasn't. Yeah. But the whole thing about I need more weapons and stuff, like they tried to get him more weapons. You know, they spent their first round pick back to back year on a runner and a receiver. They traded a second round pick for a receiver. Like they did try. They just got him the wrong weapons. But if if your solution as a quarterback is I need more weapons, that could be any quarterback in the league. Like like Mitch Trubisky could say that. I need more weapons. <laughs> he could I say need, it. <laughs> Allen Robinson's not enough. I mean, he could say it. But do, had, you, do you think if you're Tom Brady, do you think that it feels okay to go to the Chargers? I would hope it doesn't. Okay. Kyle, you, you would hope it doesn't. Nah, I feel dirty even talking about this. <laughs> Kyle doesn't like this at all. I have a last question, but I was going to okay. throw one curveball at you. Okay, go. I read a book about Mike Nichols. Mm. Yes. Your family member. Yes. Your father-in-law. Yes. Um, this book was called, I'm trying to read 75 books this year. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm at 10. Okay. I'm on a February. decent pace. Summer, summer, I'll really be able to make up, I feel like, July, August. Okay. Um, this book was, it was like Mike Nichols from 150 people that knew him best or something. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a ton about him. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he's he. he I was, couldn't believe the way people talked about guy. him. So yeah. was he impressive? Even like oh, you're having, yeah, Easter dinner with him, yes. and he was like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, look, um, I met my husband when we were teenagers. We went to summer camp together. Yeah. Um, he was one of my first boyfriends. You know, first love. Uh, and when I met uh, any anyone in, in his world, his parents, uh, friends, whatever, they were just his family or his friends or anything. And then, uh, 10 years later is when my husband and I got back together and dated as adults and seriously. And that's really when I got to know the people around his family. And, um, you know, you get blown away by just how smart everyone is. And, uh, he was just brilliant. He was a brilliant guy and kind and warm and obviously very funny and responsible for so many things in modern American culture that people don't realize. But now I assume you do from reading that book. I mean, he and Elaine May kind of popularized improvisation on a national level. Um, and See, I didn't know any of that stuff. Of that I stuff, knew a little of The Graduate, you know? but the 1950s, what he meant to like, and then the whole thing when he's producing these really famous he plays and directing Annie. them. And all, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so much stuff. You're like, right, he directed The Graduate and he won an Oscar. That would have been enough for anyone. But he also brought you, you know, six of the most famous plays in American culture and also kind of spawned the birth of what became... You know, I, I'm not going to credit him for Saturday Night Live, but you know what I mean? That whole yeah. that whole culture of, of doing stuff. He started Second City. I mean, he just did a tremendous amount of stuff. I was very lucky to be able to know him and um, very lucky to be married to who I'm married to and very lucky to— um, He was also representative in this book. The book didn't totally go into this, but there's this whole era, and it feels like it's—we're moving into a different version of it, but where you had, like, him, you had Lorne Michaels, mm -hmm. you had Graydon Carter— um, this kind of like New York elite that controlled all these different versions of media and content, but were also like very worldly, had all these friends really and these smart, parties. Just and smart. Just really smart. So I wonder smart. like, what's the, what's the next iteration of that? 
I don't know. I mean, I think there's still some of that in New York. I mean, I, I lived in New York for almost 20 years before I came to live out here four years ago. And it is very different, right? The sort of, you mm. know, living room culture is just very different, that kind of thing. But um, I think there is a whole circle of people who live and work and operate in New York and entertainment who wouldn't dream of living out here. And right. then you have a whole group of people, obviously, who live out here. It's cool. Nice. It was it was interesting reading that book about it's this pre-internet world of people the way they communicated was they would have parties and yeah. dinners and they would get together and they would yep. make an effort. And now it's like, you know, you feel like you're in contact with everybody in your life. You don't even have to see them. Right. <laughs> but I was fascinated by it. I thought it was a great book. I would recommend it. It would there be it's go. one of my one of my top seventy five books of two thousand twenty. <laughs> I love this. I'm going to check in with you throughout the rest of the year to see what? how you're doing. I want like a Bill Simmons pace. Like, are you going to have to cram 20 books in December? How is this going to go? Are you going to get cocky after September and be well, like, like, oh, man, I, I read so many books this summer. I got nothing. And then all of a sudden in December, it's going to be like a little dicey. Well, you have to do the whole. You got to sprinkle in a couple like Bob Iger book kind of length. Right. Well, Bob Agger's book was like 190 pages right, right, and you right. bang it out in two days. Right. And not only was it a great book that I enjoyed, but also now I'm on to the, right, next, you're book. On to the next book. But you also don't want to rule out like the 600 page every once in a while. Right. What's the meatiest book on your list? I'm still, I'm rereading some stuff that I, that I've read in the past. So I'm mixing like new ones and old ones, but all nonfiction. Kind of cheating. No, because I think when you read a book once, you forget most of it. And there's some ones that are really valuable books to reread. Okay. Where, especially like when you're older, you, there's some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Fiction screws me up. I read fiction and then I, 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 I can't handle it. What do, do you, you read? Do you read nonfiction or fiction? I read both, but I do find that I absorb what I'm reading. So if I'm reading, you know, there's so many books out there of like the best books of the year list. And they're all like, a haunting tale that will leave you in right. tears. Or true and I'm crime. Like, right. I'm like, I can't read that right now. Like, I don't know if it's the having young kids and sort of that my emotions and my are more, like my nerve endings are more raw about tragedy or anything like that. But um, there's a lot of books where I sort of read what they're being praised for, which is, you know, will leave you feeling hollow. And, but yeah. and I'm like, I don't, I don't need that right now in my life. I can put that book off for a couple of years. And, well, the weirdest and thing wait. about reading books is, you know, like with sports or movies or whatever, you have the internet and you have all these people to immediately share the experience with. And then you read a book and like I finished this Mike Nichols book and I'm just looking around. Right, I'm like, no one's ever hey, talking about it. I'm ready to talk to Mike Nichols. Anybody? <laughs> and here I am walking into your, and walking. So this boom. Was great. It was like there a month ago. I would add more questions a month ago. That's but yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, um, I felt like my brain was going to mush with not reading enough. So it's been good. It's good. It's been good. It's all always right. good to read. Right. Rachel Nichols, thanks for coming on. Me, jump. coffee, tea. I'm I look happy. forward to, um, you're going to be ramping up in the playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're on the road every Saturday right now for ABC, and then we will be doing our usual traveling circus during the Do you the bring playoffs. the kids when you go on the road or no? I don't know. Because yeah, I'm, that's tough. I mean, also, like, what are they? What are they? They're not interested. So, yeah. No. Yeah. I remember um, my kids are pretty young. One of the countdown years in the Miami-San Antonio finals went seven. But... Game six, I was so excited to go home. I hadn't seen my kids in like what, however long. Right. And 
there up five and I'm texting my wife, I'm see you tomorrow. Yeah, and then, you can't. And then you all know, hell broke you loose. You know better. I'm like, oh my God, this is a secret. You like, know oh, better. Ray Allen. So no. wait, so wait, that's amazing that the yellow ropes and all of that is this great story for all of these basketball fans. And for you, it's the five minutes of texting your wife being like, I'm coming home I tomorrow. was so, I was getting sick. Like my body was starting to break down. I was like, I just want to come home. My daughter was like, she was, I think seven but it was just that that yeah. sweet spot with little girls, like right. six, seven, where they're just like the best people on yes. the planet to be around. Yes. Now I have a 14-year-old, not the same. It's a, it's a lot different. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Player, she's so. a nice person. Rachel Nichols, thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Fox Sports Premier Boxing. Don't forget, Saturday night, the pay-per-view event of the decade. Deontay Wilder, the knockout king, the bronze bomber. He's facing Tyson Fury again for the heavyweight championship of the world. I hope it's as great as the first fight was. Two undefeated rivals squaring off. There can't be a draw this time. Somebody's got to go down. Don't miss a historic night live from Las Vegas, Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Pacific. Buy it now on pay-per-view. And thanks to Square, more than a little way, credit card reader, a whole system of tools built to run and grow any kind of business from point of sale and payroll to invoices and online stores, go to square.com slash go slash BS to see all the ways you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. I'm back on Sunday night, me and Rosillo doing uh, our annual, not annual, weekly Sunday night uh, NBA thing. I'm, I'll be coming back from the Celtics Lakers game at that point. So there'll be a lot to talk about. See you on Sunday night.